they have a sliding glass door on their cage and I left just a tiny little crack. Yep. Flexed and <laughs> I'm going to flex and bust out of this. Uh, she flexed and <laughs> busted out of her cage, climbed up the eight foot tall rack up to the ceiling, got onto the ceiling fan and couldn't get down. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. So we have an awesome podcast coming to you this week. But first, I want to talk a little bit about what I have available on portcitypet.com. So I do have some awesome what I call BioStrate, which is a bioactive substrate, as well as IsoStrate, which is a substrate for your isopause that is fortified with calcium, as well as some other uh, reptile supplies. We have some, some gecko purchase coming soon, hopefully, and some really cool, innovative new products coming out. So I'm super excited for the future of, of what we'll have coming out. But we also have some isopods available. Babies are hatching. Um, the ghost just came out. Eastern black king snakes are out. Amel buffs are out. So a lot of really cool stuff coming up in the future. And really breeding season and now hatching season is in full swing. So this is the most exciting time of the year for me. And so, yeah, check out the the Instagram, Port City Pet, and you can see all the new things that are hatching out all the time. And that's really enough about me. What is up, Justin of Palmetto Coast Exotics? Um, thanks for joining us. But, uh, yeah, so portcitypet.com, check out all that stuff. But this past weekend was July 4th, which for me didn't really uh, didn't mean a whole lot. I just went down. I went down to the creek down here and drank a beer and just chilled out for a bit. I uh, kept my distance from everyone. I kept a a wide distance from everyone. I was just alone in the woods, and that sometimes works for me. And watched a bunch of fireworks here in Philly. Fireworks are going off every freaking day, so uh, even more on on July Fourth. But anyway, so I, Bill actually came up with the idea of uh, Bill Bradley came up with the idea to have veterans on for the show for for Independence Day. So I hit up a few veterans, which is honestly a lot harder to find than I thought in the reptile hobby. And I realized also that people didn't know that I was in the military, which is kind of funny to me, but I try not to say it a lot. And I was talking to Austin before I'm actually wearing my shirt from basic training, which I'm just glad I fit in it. So, so that's cool. I'm going to pat myself on the back. Uh, but anyway, we have, uh, Austin Warwick of Ragebeard Reptiles and Bill Bradley. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Where's Where's Bill? He went He went blank. Uh-oh. <laughs> Bill's gone full robotic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Austin, if you could tune us in a little bit to uh, kind of your military service. Oh, I got Bill back in. So, uh, if you can kind of... Tune us into uh, your military service and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, I served four years in the Navy. Um, I was, I enlisted in 07, went to boot camp in 08. Uh, I was a gunner's mate. Uh, I got attached to the, I was part of the commissioning crew, the George H.W. Bush. We did a tour 
uh, we went through Europe and then did our stint in the Gulf. Um, I did, uh, so we did all the workups, got the ship uh, uh, battle ready, essentially, kind of went through all of its qualifications and certifications to let it do what it needed to do. Um, I was a gunner's mate. I dealt with uh, small arms and crew serve weapons. So like uh, your 50 cal, I was a dual uh, dual mount captain on the fantail of the aircraft carrier. So that's uh, two 50 cals, three mount team or three person teams on each mount, and I was in charge of both of them. Um, I spent about a year and a half uh, in the security division, essentially uh, military police for my ship, TAD, uh, and uh, I did four years and got out uh, E5. And yeah, it was, it was a good time. Got to see a lot of cool stuff and met a lot of uh, good friends. Uh, it turned me into the person that I am today, for sure. Uh, I was uh, not headed down the, the best path before I joined the military. Could have uh, definitely been in and out of jail and stuff. It was a, a good thing for me. I definitely put my head on, uh, put my head on straight, you know, got my priorities sorted out. Yeah, I feel like in a good way i mean i think all of us benefited from it in that way i mean my energy was probably misdirected as well before before that but bill what was your uh, what was your experience so uh i actually went to the military after college and then because i'm an idiot i went enlisted anyway and didn't go officer hell so, yeah uh, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah it was it was awesome no um so I was like, you know, the old dude in basic training because I was all of 22. Um, so I ended up at Fort Benning. I was in the Army. Uh, airborne school, I went to RIP. or When I was in, it was RIP. Now it's RASP. And then I went to 3rd Ranger Battalion. So I spent my whole career at Fort Benning, uh, aside from deployment workups. And then I did one tour in Iraq. I uh, came back, got hurt, got out. And that was the story, man. It's pretty much everybody in Ranger Battalion. We do a bunch of fun, cool stuff. You either last forever or get broken. I got broken. So that was... uh, yeah, I haven't seen you walk with a limp yet, which is good or anything. Yeah, no, I lucked out. It was all on my spine and concussions. So that's pretty sweet. Because I was going to say, those guys, I always they always have back problems and stuff yeah. like that. And, yeah, uh, and it's stereotypical. Mine was in a jump. Messed up my back, you know. Yeah. The, the normal stuff. Yeah, and that, as for me, um, six years in the Army National Guard, I was an MP. And, uh, yeah, I was a sergeant squad leader by the time I got out E5. And that's pretty much it. I didn't do shit. I just got into the, the perfect six years for whatever reason, right? Um, Obama administration, basically. And by the time yeah, yeah. our time to, to go to deployment happened, uh, we didn't deploy. So yeah, they went to Gitmo. My, my unit just got back from Gitmo when I arrived and then they went to Gitmo right as I left too. So I, I missed Gitmo twice, which is funny. I, I had a couple of buddies that did uh, some TAD stuff in Gitmo for a couple of years. Yeah. I, I hear a really mixed bag because if you don't have family, like it seems like a nice place to go scuba diving mm -hmm. and play yeah. with nutra rats and yeah. uh, see some iguanas, some coconut crabs. Yeah, yeah, like there's yeah. some cool wildlife and yeah. stuff like that. All my buddies were single. They had a good time. I got a buddy who was a CSM down there, and uh, he was he always used to text me pictures of all the Cuban iguanas just like chilling around their 
works. Yeah. And he's not a reptile nerd at all. And uh, he he originally went down there. And he was talking to me about it. And I was like, oh, man, the iguanas down there, they're a really big deal. And so he would just send me pictures like, hey, is this cool? And it was this just giant, beautiful, full-grown Cuban, like, chilling out next to their smoke pit. I'm like, I hate you. That's cool. Dude, that would be so much fun just as a – like, something – there's so much to do, like – you get bored in places like where I'm at in Texas. There's not other than going to the lake. There ain't a whole hell of a lot to do. So, yeah, I mean it's not a bad place to find snakes though in Texas. Yeah, yeah, right. It's very hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think uh, usually, I mean, we we've had Austin on the podcast twice, and both times you've been in your snake room, but it's been. Uh, Probably because it's Texas, probably been 105 degrees every single day. So your snake room's probably a little toasty. Yeah, I'm, I'm up uh, up in the spare bedroom today just because uh, I didn't feel like being super hot. I was working outside all day today. So yeah, so I guess for for people who didn't listen to those first two, and first of all, you should probably go listen to those first two. But what do you work with, Austin? Just give us a quick overview. Uh, I work with. I guess start from my favorite to my least favorite. Um, Apodora, Papuana. I've got a group of four of those. Um, uh, Brisbane Coastal Carpets, which are the bane of my existence. I haven't been able to get them to reproduce. So it's really the irritating. bane of your existence. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Brettles Pythons. Uh, I love Brettles Pythons. I'm, I've worked with them since... 2012 i got my first female um i keep some corn snakes uh, i've got uh some tester stuff from you and then i've got uh some stripe butter stripe stuff and i just like fun stuff to play around with um some dumerals boas i actually just lost my woma python female um she was never like a great feeder i'd had her for about six years and I think she had something internally wrong with her because I just went in there one day and opened up her tub and she was like biting herself in the center section and bit. So I've got her in the freezer and my uh, next door neighbor's uh, animal biologist. We're going to do a necropsy when we get some time to just kind of see what, what was going on. I don't like I said, she was not really uh, the greatest feeder, which is really uncommon for a Wilma python. So I think that there was something else going on with her. But that was a super crazy picture that you sent me when she passed away. Like she was, she literally like bit herself. It seemed like mid body and like latched down. Yeah. It was a hard crank. I had to peel her mouth. Like I wanted to see like how just, if it was just like some surface level, she was in pain and opened and thrashed, but she was, there was bruising around the area where the bite was and it was pretty substantial. Um, I'm recently this year took the dive into uh, uh, some Amazon tree boas. I've got a group of uh, three of those, and uh, I'm pretty excited about those things. They're fun, real pretty. Um, yeah, I mean, that's oh, I got some inlands. That's the last thing, and a pair of inlands. And they should be, I should be going up uh, this season. This is their first season to breed, so this year's going to be a pretty big year uh, for me. I'm going to be attempting the pop ones attempting inlands and then this will be my first year of breeding uh brettles pythons that i produced back in 2016 i'm working on a line breeding project with those guys so yeah it's awesome a lot of cool indo-australian pythons going on over there 
So, Bill, a little overview. Uh, some people know you from CritterCon. You were on CritterCon just a couple months back. Right. So, um, that was what awesome. do you do? So, I, uh, my wife and I, actually, my wife and I, oh, I'm <laughs> <Hey. driving. laughs> um, do educational shows uh, using reptiles. So, we have a petting zoo in Dwight, Illinois, or what is essentially a petting zoo, but it's just reptiles and some arachnids. Um, it used to be a tanning salon, so the electrical was way overbuilt. And so when we took over, we were able to use that to our advantage. So instead of having rooms with tanning beds in them, we have a snake room and a lizard room and separations like that. Um, so our collection is kind of all of the above, everything from a 90-pound sulcata tortoise to corn snakes and boas and all of your typical common pet reptiles, um, all the way to weird stuff, egg eaters, different things like that. Um, but it's all geared toward doing educational shows, birthdays, libraries, museums, things like that. Awesome. So as far as reptile keeping goes and the military, did, did either of you guys keep reptiles while in the military? I didn't. Not at all. I didn't have the, the – uh, it's not that I didn't have the interest. I just – I was – constantly out on sea trials and stuff we would be in for a month and then out for two or three months and in for a week and out for where i mean it was just in and out constantly getting our certifications once i got to my uh duty station so it was just not really an option i wasn't going to make my wife at, uh, do uh any of that kind of stuff especially back then i don't think that she would have now i mean you know katie so she would definitely uh, other than maybe like the pop one pythons she would do she could handle any of them you know and i wouldn't ask her to mess with the pop ones not that they're mean or anything but it's a very strong very large animal and uh it's just not kind of not her cup of tea so but uh i didn't keep anything while i was in i wish i could have uh i really didn't have the epiphany to keep anything till after i got out and had purchased my own home and i was like oh i can keep whatever i want so yeah yeah what about you bill uh i actually donated uh the reptile collection i did have back to the college that i went to uh, prior to joining the military. So I did educational shows for them as well. And it, uh, the college that I went to is a, it's a work college. So in order to be a student there, you have to provide some sort of job at the school. I did shows and stuff and then kind of branched out of my own. So I donated my stuff back to my professor so he could use it and continue doing it on his own. Um, and I kept saltwater aquarium when I was in the military. Uh, my wife and I did it together as a hobby. That's, oh, that's awesome. awesome. So you wouldn't, I mean, luckily you didn't have to go anywhere. You said you stayed at, at Fort Benning because that would be a hard thing to move, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. It, so we had to move it one time when I left, moved home, and it was an absolute nightmare. It, it was a disaster. Um, so we essentially had to start over. And then when I finally got home, that was when I got back into reptiles. But I already had all those connections with my professor and, and things like that. So I kind of walked out. All us reptile people complain about moving reptiles. I can't even imagine moving a saltwater aquarium of any any size. Really, that's that's crazy. So we um, it it ended up turning into a full blown disaster. So we we were moving, and we had a car breakdown because I'm in in Illinois, and I was obviously down uh, south of Atlanta. So it was a really long drive. And I was like, you know, we're going to one shot it. Everything's in buckets. We got aerators. We're going to rock out. And we got to Nashville. 
Nashville. Nashville, just outside of Nashville. And um, ball hitch came up through the oil pan of my car. Oh. And we're dead. Dead in the water, not moving. So we found a hotel that was cool. They were like, yeah, um, we, we crashed this hotel. The hotel wasn't cool with pets. So we just didn't really say anything and plugged a bunch of aerators in. Um, and we still, we lost almost all of our fish. Um, wow. Most That's of the awful. corals survived. We got home and then we were kind of in rebuild mode for like almost a year. So are you it, still keeping saltwater stuff? Takes, stuff? It just takes so long. Say it again. Are you still keeping saltwater stuff right now? Uh, no. So uh, I went to the academy for my current job. And my son, who was three, two or three at the time, um, he dumped an entire bottle of fish food and an entire bottle of alkaline supplement into my reef tank. Okay. And I, got, I was I was in New Mexico and I got a frantic phone call late at night that my wife had come home and the tank was cloudy and you couldn't see anything in it. It looked like fog. Dang, that's And I was yeah. like, well, that's all the alkaline dropping out of the water and it's dead. <laughs> um so when I got home, you know, every, obviously nothing survived that. It was a disaster. Um, and it's just, it's crazy expensive, or it was at the time. We actually yeah. were just talking that prices on that stuff have done really well. Um, but it was just, it was too expensive to fully restart from dry rock and mixing up yeah. salt water. I couldn't justify the expense. I understand. Yeah, that's something that seems like quite an undertaking and something that I haven't really looked into, but... I'm really impressed with what people can do with that stuff. Yeah, I've always thought they're really cool. Th like, I've always been interested, but it's never, I've always heard that it's incredibly expensive. But so is what it's, I do. I mean, I equate it kind of like reptiles, where yeah. you're in you're in for a really long time, and then it doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah. You know, because the longer yeah. you're in, you know, you listed out a ton of snakes, and or what some people would think is a ton of snakes. <laughs> And I was like, okay, yeah, I know what that is. And I have one of those, or I know what those are. You know, like, it doesn't yeah. sound unreasonable to me because yeah. I've been in a long time also. Yeah. So that's not, it's not weird to me. Yeah. Um, the salt water was the same way. Like, you know, we, we were looking at the tank when we had to break down to move and it was the military. So they moved all of our stuff and then we moved that on our own. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, there's this and that. And when did we buy this? Where did that come from? Like, you know, and because it's all fixed. It's like gardening. So then yeah. oh, I, bought, I bought two of those and now it's 17 inches across. Like that's going to be a bigger bucket. <laughs> you know, it, it just develops over time. But it seems like the opposite mentality, I feel like, or the opposite as far as what you spend your money on. I feel like the setup is very expensive for, yes. for saltwater. Yeah. When our setups, we usually really are skimpy on that end and have really cheap setups, but expensive animals yep yeah and then it seems like uh you know people kind of expect it's always a thing where like you kind of expect your fish to die i don't I, that sounds terrible but um especially so a lot of people treat them as like throwaway pet type of things which i guess some people do with snakes too but it just seems a lot harder to make your fish live i mean <laughs> I, know, at least I, I agree quicker. with i agree with that statement because i i've got i don't keep any saltwater stuff but i've got a couple of uh, freshwater like outdoor uh tanks that i've set up that are like planted with uh, water iris and all that stuff like it's like a wine barrel but like a legit wine barrel not those plastic ones you see at home deeper at lowe's 
but it's been cut in half and I put, I stack rocks and stuff. And I finally, I think got it down because before I just thought, well, I guess these goldfish and just different little freshwater goldfish and stuff. Oh, I guess they last about a year. And then that's, that's a wrap, you know, because I was just, there was a huge turnover and I kind of feel like I've got it dialed in now. And I've, I've had this one goldfish for almost three years now. I'm like, yes. I think I've done it, but you expect them to die. You expect to just go out there after a certain amount of time and be like, Oh, well, I got to go get another goldfish, you know, but. Yeah. Well, and even in, you know, saltwater hobby when, when we were in, um, it was a lot like the import side of reptiles where, because nobody breeds that stuff like clownfish people breed now because Nemo blasted it off and that has maintained in the hobby. Yeah. But, um, weird stuff like mandarin gobies and different things like we actually we were part of a reef club same as a herp society and a guy had bred uh tile fish which was really weird and so we were going to have a, a reef club meeting in this person's living room hang out have some drinks whatever and this guy gave us a powerpoint presentation on how he bred these fish we're like oh that's cool and then we finally meet the guy and it turns out he's like yeah i'm the first dude in the world to ever like i'm a really big deal this is it's like a huge scientific achievement or whatever and we were like for real because you're in mike and mary's living room just showing us the presentation like i don't feel like it's a big deal you know it just because it's not it's just not done you know it's, like everybody's it's like, a oh, big I, deal I go to the community right but outside right. of that community nobody cares because they're not in the community yeah you, right? you just yeah. go to petco and buy another yellow tang like who cares about a dude breeding yellow like it wasn't a big thing you know mm -hmm. um and then we finally kind of looked more into it and i was like no that this guy he should be famous why are we just in mike and mary's living room like why isn't yeah. this a big deal you know and it just it wasn't a thing like we thought it was cool cool but we're nerds yeah you know the the reptile hobby kind of feels the same way like yeah definitely yeah you have you have your few people who go kind of mainstream but for the most part everyone's kind of under the radar especially you know the most legit hardcore people who do like the rare stuff or the stuff that we're really into um don't exactly get main mainstream uh, notoriety well and a lot of like you got to think, you know, a lot of the dudes that kind of the older guys in herpticulture, I mean, they were herpers. They, and then brought it home, like collecting and the guys who were doing the colubrids and like a lot of the crazy stuff, you know, going out West back in the seventies to now, those guys are still around, but they probably don't hang out on Facebook. They're like 65 years old and have some of the coolest thing I've ever heard of. And you're not yeah. gonna if you don't know who that dude is because he doesn't play on Instagram. Yeah, you know that's just not they're not exposed. Yeah, Partly because good. they probably choose not to. I was gonna say it's good for his mental their, their not his but their mental health because uh, Facebook's a dumpster fire. So yeah, I feel like that kind of <laughs> yes that it, that makes sense as far as uh, what they're in it for. I mean their long term success. I mean they weren't probably looking for that attention and therefore they're just worried about their animals. They're worried about having success with their animals. And I think that's why they're successful yeah. and that's why they do it year after year. Yeah. I've definitely found well, myself like, like backing that. out quite a bit of like I'll post and stuff, but I don't, I can't scroll. It puts me in a bad mood, man. I can't even look at it sometimes. It's just, I don't know. 
I don't know if I'm just getting old and like cranky or what, but I just, it's hard for me to look at stuff now. Well, but I think dudes like that are not necessarily guys, but people like that. Um, those are the kind of people like when, when we all talk now in, in our generation about like the reptile community, those, those people actually are that, you know, it's like six people hanging out drinking coffee, talking about the herping trip they went on. Like, their weirdo this specific road they found alterna king snake on you know that's their own little community it's not a facebook group of twelve thousand people it's like eight yeah. and some part of text that you can find a bear's rat snake and they know which color or gray it is yeah like it's it's super specific small things you know we're actually uh, planning a, a trip me and evan and a couple and ezra a couple other guys are going out to uh west texas uh in september we're gonna do some field over i've lived here for since 05 other than the four years i was in the navy and i have never been out there to do any field herping. it's kind of a travesty but we're gonna go out there and get after it so well i mean texas is like two european countries large, oh, yeah. so. it's like a nine hour drive it's not a, it's not a small small you know, yeah, but that and that's something that is like uh, such a vast landscape, and it is uh, supposedly pretty pretty hard to find animals. But the guys who are, are successful seem to be the old school guys who have been doing it for like twenty, thirty years. Yeah, and they all know each other, sure. and they're all lifers, and yeah, yeah, they have like like Bill said, like their own community. I feel like it's almost flipped on its head now, is where you got guys that start out keeping like myself and i mean as a kid i definitely like did some field herping i didn't know that's what i was doing but i was doing it and now i'm trying to kind of like get back into the going out and finding stuff versus collect or accumulating all these reptiles you know so it's kind of weird it's like a reverse a reverse thing that's going on so yeah i guess that's something to because I feel like people all the time are like, you know, it's not like how it used to be. People were more engaged with nature. But I feel like, yeah, like you said, it's the opposite. But hopefully we can, you know, if we have people around that long, you can educate people about the natural history of the animals they keep. And then eventually, you know, they want to go to Australia to see that carpet python or they want to mm -hmm. go to Texas to, to find some snakes that they may keep. But that that takes keeping something well, I think, forever. Yeah. Well, but you got to think about a lot of those guys too that have been successful with things that, like as the the ebb and flow in the hobby as things fade away or become more or less popular, and now all of a sudden things are more popular, and you got people who are trying to breed things or you know like all those all the people that make fun of Owen who because he can't breed ruffies or whatever like it was a whole big joke, and then it to us it was like oh that dude was a big deal to us in, in our time frame of social media. And rough scale pythons are super cool and really rare and all these things. And then you had older dudes who were like, well, yeah, I, I did that when it wasn't a big deal. Like I've moved on. Do, do you want help with that? And then it, it, it like, it, that's kind of how the joke was. Hold, hold my bear. But like they were giving him a hard time, but like that was, there was some truth to that. Like that's why the joke was funny is because these older dudes were like, well, man, like in the 80s when we just had light bulbs, it worked out fine. Like, what are you new guys doing with all your fancy LEDs, you know? And it just, it was kind of lost. But I think that was part of it because the dudes who were 
doing those things kind of faded away and then there was no community to maintain their knowledge you know the sharing of information wasn't like it is today you know they didn't have that access to be like this is how i did it or do you need help it was just the people that were local around them that knew them and if they wanted to do it then they could share that with them so i think it's also think about before probably before the 80s uh, all the all the big snakes in the hobby at that time which is probably super small i mean they were all natives and king snakes were a big deal and that's why alterna i mean people didn't go to west texas because you know just because they liked the snake these are they were collecting because it was a super desirable snake and all these yeah. guys were going out there collecting to breed and so I think I think that's interesting, and that's kind of a part of herp history that we don't really think about is the fact that you know there was there was a time where everything was native in there. You know, you weren't yeah. even messing with Burmese pythons probably until the seventies and eighties. Yeah, for sure. And and those guys were, I believe, just trading with each other at that yeah, point. Yeah, like in hotel in hotel rooms on the side of the highway, little trade parties and stuff, right? Yeah, it's not like there's yep. there's no really no real money involved. No, that almost sounds better to me, honestly. A lot of that generation are are kind of like writing books now, you know, Trumbauer and Bill Love and and those type of guys. Um, if you read their books, like that's what most of their books are. It's a little bit about you know how they grew up and became involved in herpetoculture and things like that. And then most of it is just them telling stories of meeting up with their friends who are all also all of the names that we know in herpeticulture and like, Oh yeah, I was hanging out. And then we just traded all these things. And it turns out that, you know, moonshine rats were a big deal. Who knew, you know, like it just, that's how those things developed. Like, Oh yeah, this guy had one and I wanted it. So I gave him a king snake and then now king snakes are expensive. And this is, eh, sorry. So, you know, like they were just buddies. So with like the ease of sharing of information, we, so we can we can share information with one another very easily and 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 that's a good thing right but it i think it also limits the face-to-face contact you know and and making those connections with people uh so that's i think that's kind of where we lose a little bit uh with the internet yeah absolutely yeah and that's super super apparent during this period of time during you know the last five months or so um, you know, I, I really love going to reptile shows and just talking to snake people. And that's like, that's kind of the one place where you're not the weird snake guy, you know, at work, you're the, you're the snake guy, pretty much regardless of how little you talk about it, you will be the snake guy. Yeah. But it's nice to be in a room filled with those people. So, uh, so yeah, I, I miss that personally. Me too. But I know, I know Bill gets to go out there and still do some, some education work, which is cool. Yeah, but you're still the weird snake guy. Like, that doesn't change. <laughs> people want you around, right? People want you there. Um, 50-50. Really? Like, there, oh, yeah. There are plenty of shows where, like, nobody told their aunt or whoever, like, cousin, whatever, uh, that I was going to show up. And then that's always weird or... Like we, we do a lot of public events where like people pull their, like pull their kids away. Like, and I look how I look. So that doesn't really help, but yeah. um, you and I got the same thing going on. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, no, you still stick out even, even in that vein. Like even if they knew and came to the reptile show, like people, you know, 
people have a stereotype of what they expect that to be. Yeah. And that's actually why I use my wife because she looks kind of like a soccer mom. So people don't see it coming. And then she shows up and is like, no, I have a giant Python too. Check it out. And kind of helps. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to see, um, you know, a, a, a big dude with a beard and stuff like that. Like, yeah, of course you can manhandle some reptiles, but I mean, yeah, give it to the wife to kind of endear some people to them. Yeah. Yeah. She looks like them. I don't. So you just have to fit in and then it normalizes it. You know, even, even for the tarantulas and stuff that people find spiders way more scary than snakes. Um, it turns out it's my middle child. It's my daughter. And so I'm always like, Oh yeah, this little girl and she'll talk to you. And then it normalizes it for people. I mean, some people still have irrational fears or whatever, but um, people who are just kind of creeped out or maybe think it's gross or just have like a, you know, a normal quote unquote normal reaction to things like that. Um, when you have a little kid who sits there in her little girl voice and talks to you about this fluffy little thing, mm-hmm. it, normali- it normalizes it. For sure. I found that as well with my kids. Uh, my daughters are definitely not scared of e- anything, really. I mean, they do stay away from the ATBs, but, uh, which they probably should. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, they will reach down in a tub or a click cage and pull stuff out. And I'll have people in there that are, I mean, grown men that are terrified. And it makes it toward that they're like, oh, well, that's, I guess, not that bad if that 10-year-old's in there. The 10-year-old girl is picking a snake up out. I'm just being kind of lame, you know? So I, I've seen that also with my wife as well. I've, I've, uh, a lot of times I'm not, I'm not doing shows like you, which is awesome, by the way. Um, I, but whenever I do have people over and they're interested, I will bring them in. And if my wife, Katie, uh, uh, handles the snakes, I see, how much more at ease they are than if I'm just reaching in because I'm the crazy snake guy, you know, and she's not a crazy snake lady. She just, she's comfortable with it, you know? So. Yeah. And I think what kind of sucks is sometimes. What was that? It's more believable. Like, yeah. Yeah. They inherently believe you because they, you're not going to put someone in danger. Like yeah. people don't think yeah. that, yeah. but they're like, Oh, well, but you're more comfortable. Maybe this person is as uncomfortable as me. And then if they did it, it's a little bit of a peer pressure thing, yeah. but it's just that they're more relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what kind of sucks is when you become the guy that like your coworker sends a picture of the snake that they just killed with a, uh, with a hoe. And they're like, what is this? Is it venomous type of deal? I'm sure that's more prevalent in Texas. (laughs) I broke my father-in-law that he does not kill them anymore after I was just like, dude, just like, I don't, I get that if you're worried about it, if it's venomous and you want to kill it, but just send me the picture first before you do anything, send me the picture and I'll tell you whether you need to be worried about it or not. And now he doesn't. And it's, I call that a win, you know, It's, it's a small win, but it's a win. Yeah, but I mean that's that's super important, and I think uh, it's tough, especially on the internet. You know, you see a lot of these identification groups. I don't know if you guys are in any of those, but yeah, some of yeah, some of the yeah. pictures are headless, and people get kind of mad about it, and then those other people get kind of bitter about it, and they don't stop killing snakes. So you know, yeah. you kind of gotta kind of gotta educate people and be cool sure. about it they're forever going to have a stigma. I mean, there's all you can do is educate the people that are open to be educated. And I mean, I don't know. 
How do you guys, I mean, both of you guys have families and you have multiple things going on. You have full-time jobs. You have this. How the hell do you manage all of that stuff? I mean, like, are your kids into it? I guess, Austin, you can go first. Okay, all right. Uh, my kids, my youngest daughter, Penelope, is definitely uh, into the snake. She wants to, she, like, begs me to come out and help. And sometimes I let her... And sometimes I'm just like, I, I'm going to be out here for five hours. I need to move. Like, I don't want to be doing this all day long cleaning because with a collection the size of mine and y'all's, it's like, you know how it is. Like, you're like, okay, this, I've got a half a day to get in here, get the stuff done and clean, like do a deep clean one. Like, Cause that's what I do is a deep clean once a week. And so sometimes if I, if the schedule is a little lighter, I'll be like, okay, yeah, come on, come help me do water bowls, whatever. But sometimes I just have to be like, no, you can't, you can't, you can come hang out, but I need you to like sit over here. You can ask me questions, but I, I can't have you involved in everything that I'm doing. Um, my oldest uh, daughter, she, she likes the snakes, but she doesn't really enjoy the work of it. Um, she does have her own crested gecko and, uh, and I'm kind of starting to try She's wanting to start a little breeding project with the crested. She's doing really well with those. So she has interest in reptiles, uh, just not snakes as much with my oldest. Um, it's not that she's scared. She just doesn't really care about them that much. They don't interest her as much. Um, and so I, I, I guess you asked how I juggle it is I make the time when I have the time. I mean, obviously my family comes first. My snakes don't suffer from that. But like if I have to push it off a day, I push it off a day, depending on what's going on with my, I'm running my own company and stuff like that. So um i'm pretty i'm pretty uh uh loosey-goosey as long as stuff gets handled within a seven-day period i check on everything twice a day and i do a deep clean once a week um it takes me i was just talking to my neighbor uh last night i said next time i clean i need to time it just like not try to rush or anything but time it so that i can have an idea of about how many man hours I'm, i put into my collection uh, a week because that's not something i don't know if that's something you guys think about you probably do bill because you're running a legit uh business uh, to me this is more of like a hobby pastime thing so i've never really looked at it from like a business business standpoint and i'm trying to start i'm trying to turn that leaf a little bit this this year and uh i need to start checking out like my my like man hours and stuff like that so uh uh, I just try to balance life and family as much as I can and uh, try not to let the snake suffer, try not to let my family life suffer, my job. It's a juggling act, in my opinion, uh, and you just got to be on top of it as much as you can um, and not beat yourself up too much if one thing suffers or is not as on point as the other. So that's kind of how I deal with it. It's, it's more of a relaxed way of looking at it, I guess, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I finally got to the point where I I had enough snakes to where I actually had to think about that. And even to this day, you know, I'm pretty relaxed because that was my time to just kind of unwind and do my own thing. So I was just loosey goosey going through everyone. And then I realized it takes me like I did it this weekend. I actually deliberately tried to go in an efficient manner. Mm -hmm. And instead of like the like five to six hours I could spend cleaning the whole collection, it took more like two to three <laughs> like i wasn't sitting there just like holding animals looking at things but so it takes me like going i 
this is just like rough. That's why I said I need to time it. It's about five to six hours of legit like water bowls, spot cleaning, full on cage recleaning. Like, I it, it, roughly it's got to be five to six hours, but I really want to time it and check it out because I think that's important. You should know, like, just for time management reasons, you should know, like, okay, I can knock my entire collection out in this much time, you know? So, I don't know. What about you, Bill? How do you balance the whole family and reptiles and job thing? I, I don't believe in days off. It's, yeah, it's know. impossible to yeah. have any of it. Um, yeah. No, like our our kids are involved. Um, they have each kind of developed their own thing, and they help out with that. My son is very into turtles, so he helps out with that. You know, all of the invertebrates are my daughter's, so that that's her jam. Um, my oldest is more of a she likes to help at shows kind of thing she she likes to babysit little kids mother little kids she's very organizing the stray cats herd thing um but no it's i i don't have it down to man hours of what it would take to clean everything i should um but i probably don't want to know the real answer because it's fairly ridiculous um but no, we, we segregate things for, I basically feed snakes or I feed lizards. And then when I, for us, lizards is a little bit different. So for us, for when I say that, it's I'm either thawing rodents for snakes or I'm thawing large meat for big carnivores. And then herbivores and insectivores is kind of an ongoing thing. Like anybody that keeps that, you just, you know, you have your routine of this is what geckos look like when they're hungry. So that's when crickets go in type of deal. Um, and then like, because we have such a large collection, it's, it's a fairly continuous thing. You know, you're out, like, you're checking water bowls every day because depending on who's where and, you know, all the basement stuff evaporates cause it's ridiculous. And then I got to do the dehumidifier and it's just a running list. It never really, I don't have a day when I don't have stuff to do at the shop. So you it's have to just, run a dehumidifier in your basement. Yeah. So all Dang. of my, aquatic, all of my aquatics are in my basement. So I have, uh, oh geez i uh, have three 150s a 300 a 60 a 100 and then two 300s that are mostly dirt but have big water bowls because it's a red foot and a gopher tortoise and then two 100s that are mostly dirt but the water bowls because i have box turtles and wood turtles so yeah it's it's a lot of humidity in the basement. Are you, um, you said, you said, uh, uh, carnivores, you keep in Brannids, any, any, yeah, any yeah monitors? big monitors. What um, so Argus water, I actually, when you talk about breeding, that is one of the few things, um, I do have a, a pair of Argus. Um, okay. and yeah, I haven't put them together because we, I'm, I knew about the sexual dimorphism and the, the female came to us from a friend who she had had two clutches of infertiles. And he was like, this is a waste. I don't have a male, you know, do your thing. Uh, yeah. My male is. Yeah, probably over five feet easily. Um, and the female is what I would consider or what I guess most people consider a normal Argus when she's like two plus feet. Okay. And just looks like a little lizard. Um I, I mean, I've seen pictures of it. I've, I've never kept to breed and I always had this one. So I just, for whatever reason, lapsed into the thought process of they all look like that. 
And then he was talking to me and was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you the female and, and do your thing. She's going to need to be fed a little bit to fatten back up from this last infertile clutch. Cool. And then I show up and she's in like a bigger Rubbermaid. Like and I was like, yo. Tub kind of thing? Well, no. Well, maybe a half of that. Okay. But I we haul our mail in a tough box that goes in the back of pickup trucks. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, that's not the same. We're going to have a problem. <laughs> We're going to have a problem. Um, but then we also have a little came in, um, a whole herd of tegus. So, yeah, a lot of big meat eaters. I would really like to get a big lizard. I just, I don't know. Well, right now, I just, I like to have a really tame one. I just don't think I have the time. I really don't because you have to put so much time into them. And I want the big, t everybody, right, wants that big, super tame lizard. And I just, hopefully at some point when I retire, I can do something like that. I just, I don't feel like I've got the, the time for it. I try. I tried a little, a couple of years back, and uh, failed miserably. So, what did you keep? I didn't uh, know that. It, I didn't. <laughs> it was uh, about five years ago. Well, it might have been even six. It was the first car Southern Carpet Fest. I had it. Uh, it was just a, it, and I started off with the wrong species entirely. It was a Nile monitor, uh, yes. and it was a complete and total asshole. And one day I got home. It was about two and a half foot long from from end of the tail to the nose and uh it had gotten out of, it was in a cage in our living room and it had gotten out actually i didn't get home my wife got home and i get this phone call and she said uh the nile monitor is in the living room and it's hissing at me and tail whipping and i'm not messing with it and i was like an hour and a half away from the house and i was like yeah this isn't working out anymore i'm gonna have to figure something out so that was my uh and really honestly getting into reptiles i was a lizard guy from the jump i kept a bunch of leopard geckos as a kid uh, a couple beardies i was always into lizards and uh snakes was something that i got into and enjoyed a lot later and uh i don't know i just the personality of a lizard is just, it's cool I, I would like to have that relationship at some point in my life but not right now i don't have the time so Man, I wish Niles weren't psychos because they're beautiful. They are gorgeous. He was a he was a gorgeous animal. He was awesome, but he was so mean. And I tried to do all the socializing stuff with him, and he was just a terror, man. He didn't care. He was a wild animal, you know. So on the old school king snake forums, there was one woman that I ever saw, and she had two adults, super chill. Really? And she got babies couple of times through the life of that forum um and then everybody else including me was chasing her example and were yeah. never they were all crazy they all got three feet long and wanted to eat eggs and rip your face off they just yeah. they're very they look awesome man they're beautiful mine was very um i guess not aggressive but defensive it was not a happy camper when it was people were around it would tail whip the sides of its cage and all kinds of stuff so yeah, and I guess Bill's probably messed with a whole bunch of uh, crazy monitors just from dealing with rescue animals and stuff like that, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, everybody's gold tegu that they're going to tame, everybody's Nile monitor, Savannah monitor. <laughs> a gold tegu, that's that's the Nile monitor of the tegu world, right? But it's the same way, man. They're gorgeous, and they they're, smaller gorgeous. Than, they're smaller than a black and white. If you could be successful with them, I think they would overtake blues like blue tegus have their own weirdness. Cause nobody 
you don't realize how really white an animal can be until you see a blue tegu. They're beautiful though. And the, the white is off the charts. Yeah. Um, and then you replace that with yellow and you're like, oh, I didn't know yellow was possible. And it's like, yeah, you didn't know yellow was possible because that one hates you. That's why you didn't know. That but, one hates you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a buddy over here yesterday and we were talking and he's talking about like green tree monitors. And it's uh, like, yes, that is uh, that. That's the animal that everyone would love to keep the greens and the blues. But you're like, I don't know. That's kind of seems like a handful. I think I'm with you, Joe, with the cyclure. I think that's probably the route I'm going to eventually go. Uh, I like like the rock, the rock iguanas. They're, they're dope. They, and they seem to be, um, I wouldn't say easy, but there is at least a route to go as far as taming them down. And it's a feasible thing, you know? And that's what I think is, that's why I would go that route with, or with, as far as the big lizards are concerned. I just, I don't know. I, there's definitely like, I would like to keep coming eye, you know, as far as monitors are concerned, but I don't know, just the cyclora seems so chill and the, the, and it's, it's, there's a route to get them that chill. And you, I feel like with monitors, it's a serious roll of the dice. It's like, you could put a bunch of time into an animal and still wind up with a psychopath, you know? So Riley, Riley Jimison was trying to talk me out of getting cyclora. He, uh, I guess at the zoo, he was working with a rhino and he ended up with some stitches. So he sent me a good picture of that. Well, he, I mean, you guys got a possibility. What is it they say? If you got teeth, if they got teeth, they're gonna they can bite you. So anything yeah. worth doing is a little dangerous and fun. There, there you go. go. My <laughs> rhino is awesome. That's the rule that I live by. That's the rule I live my life by, right there, buddy. No, man. So the 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 big deal for cyclura that I have found, or iguanas in general, um, it's the same thing as bearded dragons. They're like super visual. And that's how they socialize with other cyclera or animals in general. It's visual and like all the cues, you know, and then you're, when you're talking about monitors, you're talking about at least where they live, typically top tier predators, right? Socializing for them is eating stuff smaller than them and making babies. And you ain't involved in either one of those. <laughs> so you are either a jungle gym to them or you are a provider of food. It's yeah. not really a social interaction. Um, all of the, like, I have a huge male green iguana. I have a male rhino iguana. Um, their interactions are just like the beards. My <laughs> <laughs> youngest daughter, Penny, sorry. Um, just like bearded dragons. They're, they're visual. You know, they see you coming. They, they are looking for the food. They're looking for, like, my green iguana is a total sap. And, like, when he gets shed stuck, he doesn't even bother to try and get it himself. He just scratches at the window until one of my kids does it. That's a dog. That's a dog, man. Dude, cyclura and green iguanas outside of breeding season. The more thing I've heard is the breeding season as a whole, that's a different thing completely with them as far as the personality is concerned. But that makes sense. You can see it coming, assuming you've done any sort of research whatsoever. Um. And for big adults, you can literally see it coming because the thing was green and then it turned orange. Don't touch it. Mm. Um, but like, dude, the, the more you treat them like a dog, the more they act like it because the interaction is the same. It's visual. Like my mm-hmm. bearded dragons head bob at my green iguana. That's dumb. He would destroy them, but they're stupid lizards and want to do that. Yeah. Um, and if you let anything out in my shop to walk around, the rhino iguana gets mad 
And if it comes close to it, he'll try to headbutt, which I got to watch for the glass. And the green iguana gets jealous and he scratches at the glass. But as long as you let him out and he can stand on somebody, like he feels superior and can look down on everybody, cool. That's funny, man. That's but awesome. The, mon- the monitors don't care. If I walk other lizards by a big monitor enclosure, it's, well, my, my water and my Argus occasionally think that they could eat stuff. So then they start looking with a little bird face and curl in the neck. Like mm-hmm. they want to eat it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. Other than that, they're looking for a girlfriend. And if that lizard doesn't look like their girlfriend, they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. It, it's math for them. It's just yeah. math. Yeah. You know, with especially with Cyclura, though, for me at least, um, it's been super interactive. That's the thing that's a draw for me, honestly. That's I, I don't know. I dig that. I mean, so you said except for when they're when, during breeding season. So my yeah. wife and I, we uh, we have we keep and breed miniature schnauzers. Not crazy. We have one litter a year. Um, and we actually, we're about to have our last one and we're done uh, next year. But uh, so the female miniature schnauzer, she's awesome all year. Like as long as she's not in heat, when she's in heat, she's she kills my chickens. Like she's yep. a, a different animal. Like yes. if she wasn't in heat, she would never do that. Thank you, sweetheart. So if she, was, if she wasn't in heat, she would never do that. But I, I can't trust her when she's in heat. Like uh, she yeah. last year, she killed seven of my chickens, laying hens, seven of them dead. A miniature schnauzer, the chickens the size of her, and she killed seven. Yeah. So, so the that. green the green iguanas came to us uh, through a rescue route, as most stuff comes to us, um, and they came as a pair, and they were not not doing well. That like every stereotypical green iguana. Um, the female has since passed, but the male is trucking along, um, about, you know, three to seven days a month. Uh, my wife couldn't feed the iguanas because I forget I was, we'd had them maybe a couple of months Mm -hmm. and she went in there to feed the iguanas and the female went at her. Oh, and was like, she puffed up, did the male iguana thing and was like defending the male. And I got nervous because they weren't super big. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, maybe we got a subordinate male and a dominant male. Like these people didn't know, maybe they gave us two males. Okay. Um, so I checked and she's like, hey, you got to go deal with the iguanas. The, the, the female that we think is a female is freaking out. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll feed them and, and see what's up. You know, I go in there, I'm looking around, everything's cool. She's not puffed at me, no head bobbing, nothing weird. Um, I feed them like whatever change the water like nothing what what's up so don't even think about it a month goes by she goes in there that iguana comes at her and i'm like all right this is weird i'm gonna check and i check all the fun parts Mm -hmm. and it's a girl right Mm -hmm. it's not a i have a male and a female it's that we didn't mess up it's a girl Mm -hmm. and my wife is like um i really smell like a girl right now uh and i was like whenever that's happening don't go around that yeah, lizard. Don't, don't mess with uh, yeah that makes sense and, and she was she was defending her man from an overwhelming female pheromone or like, hormone. This is my territory buddy yeah. like get back off but, that it, makes sense. but it wasn't it wasn't the guy it was her yeah, yeah. she because iguanas live in harems he sits at the top of the tree 
And then the queen bee sits below him and all those subordinate females, they get to maybe mate later on. She mm-hmm. runs the show. Yeah. So to her, like, yo, I sit at the top of the tree. This is my tree. And then you come in smelling like a girl. We got to talk about it. I got to defend my position as the, yeah. the, the right-hand lady. Yeah, that makes yep. sense. Yeah. That makes sense. That's interesting. And that was, we kept that lizard. She ended up MBD and all the stereotypical stuff. Uh, we had her for almost two years. And that was how we had to work around that was, hey, it's that time. You know, I can't mess with the lizards or whatever. And then I would feed them and water them and do my thing. I've heard of stuff like that. I'm not with iguanas, but that, that makes sense. That's yeah. interesting. And is that a similar story for the cyclora? Are there seasonal differences with them as well? So our cyclora was, um, we haven't had seasonal issues. Well, we have a little bit. He's gotten snotty this year. Um, but this is his first full year of like getting his man on. So our cyclera came to us through um, a man passed away and his wife was not in the hobby at all. Mm-hmm. And she had no, inf- she had some information, but she personally had no knowledge of his collection or things like that. And so um, I ended up talking to a friend who was trying to organize things for the widow and, and we ended up with Cyclera through that route, through the rescue type of thing, mm-hmm. and with basically no information. And so we had a big old bruiser male, and what everybody thought was a female. No pores, no nothing, little horns, n- nothing. Um, we had those two lizards for probably 18 months, and then the older male passed away. And another six or eight months after that um the little one i I went to the shop one day and there was just wax like just hanging out of the pores and then over the course of the next six months his horns popped he got his man on he's like tripled in size in the last two years so just Um, having just having the dominant male yeah he was a subordinate well will cause them to not like, I guess, mess with their hormones? Is that what it is? Like, it makes them it, not... He, he was so subordinate. I mean, it was the, you know, the full, the stereotypical thing you always see. Like, bearded dragons do it all the time. Like, they stand on their head and, like, mm-hmm. push them down. Like, they push, you could see the bullying and push yeah, them around yeah. and things. Um, we actually, we separated them, and then we were doing reintroductions. And we had this whole process going on through the entire time that we had the big male. Um and then he finally passed away and that little one, there was nobody else around and he just, you know, we didn't change anything about his care or he didn't, you know, get more food or, or no, no differences, just standard He's a big man on campus now. Right. Yeah. That's, that's and dude, I mean, I came in and it was just like two inches of wax and I was like, that's not a girl. <laughs> and then, you know, over the course of the next six months to a year, horns pop you know he starts to get his side colors he's gotten humongous now and there was nobody to keep him down yeah it's hard to beat a badass big male rock iguana man they're they're cool they're so cool yeah i feel like i was always kind of uh debating because i know with with the lewis eye in particular the males are the ones with that beautiful blue and the red yep. eyes yep. but i was yep. always a little bit nervous that there may be some seasonal territorialness or something like that so i don't know i think i think i'm gonna play it safe and maybe eventually get a female rhino iguana and kind of start there 
So this is our first season where our male rhino would be able to do the deed. Um, and he, he's gotten a little snotty. Um, he'll kind of jump at the glass and he's, he's much more interested in what's going on. He is much more intolerant of other lizards being walked or he doesn't want other lizards around him at all. Um, and the problem is because we have it set up like a petting zoo, their visual animal, like he can see what's going on. Like we have to cover him and he's, yeah. he's much more intolerant of other lizards now. A lot of visual um, stimulation going on. Yeah. And, but he hasn't been, he hasn't reacted poorly to us. Um, he does like, if you open the door or you open it, like he comes right, like he wants to know he's coming to investigate. He's looking, but I don't, I don't want to anthropomorphize a lizard, but like, you can almost tell he's looking past me. Like he's not looking at me. I think he's looking out the door to see, to make sure there's no other lizards. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I assume because it does happen quite often. Like we walk the lizards, you know, my kids take them out and we move stuff. Like it, it's always happening around him. So I think he's just running out to like defend his turf. He's on, he's on alert. He's making sure. Yeah. That's not what's going on. Yeah. But it's yeah. never been toward us. You know, I, I open the door, change the water, you know, feed him or whatever. And he, he checking real hard. Yeah. And then he turns around and is like, oh, yeah, salad pile. And then he just goes <laughs> and does it. Like, he's never had a poor reaction to us, but he's looking for them other lizards. And I would – that's one of those things where, like, I a lot of people do pictures of, like, you know, these are my four iguana species and, like, line things up. And I just don't feel like – I would be comfortable ever doing those kind of photos now because I know that some of my big males are, they're looking to fight and I yeah. don't, I don't ever want to risk that. I've seen some YouTube videos of uh, mishaps of like two male rock iguanas get it. Uh, it's nasty. Man, yeah. Good. It's not good. I mean, to the point of like, could be death, like injuries. Yeah. Bad, so for sure. Yeah. I mean, as far as uh, as lizards go and stuff like that, are you doing? Do you have to do like a lot of training with the cyclora? We haven't. Well, yes and no. Um, for us, it's more of we station train for for treat. It's not treats. I use Missouri Chow so that I, I'm not actually introducing any more sugar. A lot of people use bananas or strawberries or something sugary to get that treat response. If you want them to station train or target train. Mm -hmm. um, I lucked out. He really likes Missouri chow. So that's what I use. So I don't have to <laughs> deal with the sugar. Um, with the green iguana, I do. If you're not using bananas or strawberries, he'll ignore you. He doesn't yeah. care. Um, but no, it's it did take a little bit to like you can scratch again like a dog. Like you can scratch behind their ears, behind that little tympanic membrane. It gets yeah. real rough, just like a green iguana. A green iguana is actually spiky back there. Uh, rhinos and rocks and stuff it's more of a it almost makes a little bit of a ridge but not as pronounced as a green okay um so it was much more like if you know we'd give him a treat scratch him a little bit and then kind of rub down his back and just it was more of a familiarity with someone touching him and then we moved to okay this is a like you know a small dog harness and it's cool because most of those are actually in the chest and so it 
I'm always weird about it's same thing as like a dog groomer, right? Cutting a dog's hair is no big deal. Cutting a dog's hair between its legs is a really big deal. If you're yeah, going to get bit, that's when you're going to get bit, right? Yeah, I groom um, all my dogs. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's much more like, okay, scratch between, behind the ears. We'll rub the back a little bit, see if I can rub the chest. And then it, it just moved into, okay, now when I go in there, he like arches up and pushes out. He expects and it. I he's can, like, hey. Yeah, but I know, like, I'm rubbing the back of my hand on your chest, scratch your ears, I'm going to lift this foot, because they close their eyes, just like a cat, and I'm going to lift this foot, slide that harness in, rub your chest, lift this foot, slide that, and that, you know, it was just a familiarity with being touched. Okay. Um, because the rhino is lower, it's a lot easier for kids in my shop that are, I, a lot of kids want to touch the Argus right up until I open the door. And then they, they don't want to touch the five foot lizard because the claws are right. It's, you know, they get freaked out. Um, so it's way easier. Like, Oh, here next door to that. This is like a green iguana, but he lives on a rock, blah, blah, blah. And he's right at your height. And I open the door and he pushes his chest out. I'm like, Oh yeah, just right there. Scratch on him. And then it's, it's much more interactive for them. So it's just positive interaction. Yeah. Yeah. But for the lizard, it was familiarizing, like nobody's going to go between your legs. You, yeah. you know, there's a very set ears, back, chest, you, you know, how, how things are done, I guess. I get an amuse to that. You've set those boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not really, it's more of a, you really took a hands-on approach. It's not like uh, you didn't click or train or do anything you have a super socialized animal yeah but i mean a lot of zoos have been incredibly successful target and clicker training those um it that's super cool to see like san diego zoo you know they hang out and like hit the little clicker and then their their guy runs to the station and there's a you know the banana pops out and then they hit the clicker again he runs to the next station it's like an obstacle course for an iguana it's that's super cool um lots of people have been really successful with that greens are the same way you know it, it you have to account for breeding season more often and you have to account for their want to climb um but the process is the same way you know my green the only deal for me with the green is i'm the tallest person in my family and so it's my wife can't really hold him and do the okay well he's going to sit on my shoulder and then I'm going to give him a raspberry and then that's okay. So this is how you sit because it doesn't matter. He'll look at me and be like, Oh, higher. Th and he'll always, they're so arboreal that the inclination, it's really hard to fight that even with positive reinforcement. And you don't so have he, that issue with the rocks as much or the, no, the not at all. Yeah. Nope. And they hate to be sprayed with water. Oh, really? That's, yeah. I, I've <laughs> never had a positive experience because like the greens, you know, the, the heavy arboreal stuff, like you can spray that dude straight in the face and he'll drink out of the sprayer. Mm -hmm. um, so when I first got Cyclura, I was like, okay, yeah, that iguanas love that. And I did it. And he did like half a backflip and tried to run away. <laughs> and um, I was messaging some guys. And then I actually read, um, I read a Facebook post years ago by um what ty park posted something and he was like oh this is terrible don't ever do this and i was like yeah i, I totally did that 
Yeah, that's one of those things where you do it for all your other reptiles. You don't know anything of yeah, it. You just you know? assume that it would work. Yeah. I definitely notice there's certain species of snakes that I can do that to spray them direct, like the the ATBs. You can sit there with a oh, spray yeah. nozzle just right in the face, and they just sit there and drink. But if you if I spray a pop one python or something, which they do like humidity, they just don't want it directly on them. Yeah. Like they get real upset. They start hissing and stuff. So I mean that makes sense. Yeah, but I, I think uh me and Austin are about to go look on the forums for some cyclora after this. I would I, I definitely it's definitely on my list of things that I'll keep before I'm uh six feet deep, you know. So Yeah, yeah, me too. That's that's one of those things where I'm sure you guys all have lists and uh that's definitely one on there for me. Oh, I man. feel like <laughs> Bill, you must, I mean, shit, you've kept pretty much everything that's common in the hobby. Is there anything that you haven't gotten your hands on? Oh, geez. Um, not really. Um, for me now, it, so I, I'm a monitor nerd. That That's actually the thing that I started out in the hobby really enjoying. Um, I, I don't know. I never got past the little kid phase. Like I discovered galapagos tortoises and iguanas and then giant lizards and then i just kind of stayed liking giant stuff um and i've lucked out that i've kept most of them aside from the really rare stuff like galapagos and due to price obviously um but that that actually kind of is the phase that i'm in now is i my collection is really diverse and then the things that I add are, are typically for a lesson of some sort. You know, I, I add North American stuff. I, I teach a lot of ecology and things like that. So they're very specific. Yeah. Um, and I, I enjoy them. They're fun. Like, I love playing with rat snakes. They're great. They climb all over you. It's super cool. Um, but I'm adding them to the collection for a purpose, not because I always wanted to have, you know, this weird rat snake. Yeah. Um, so for me now, it's it's the really large, stupid, expensive, dangerous things that those are the things I don't have yet. Um, so it's it's crazy stuff, you know, croc monitors, giant things. That, that was the first thing I was going to say, like a croc monitor. Is that what you're talking <laughs> about? It, for me, it I I hate that I just on a podcast on YouTube said that because. Um, I feel like that's super stereotypical of like, I want the baddest lizard on the planet. They're pretty but, badass, man. I don't think it's. Oh, yeah. No, they are. Um, but it's like, I feel like I'm a very successful monitor keeper. And I, I've kept different kinds of monitors, you know, Ackies or Argus or Waters or like these, these different biomes that I've had to be able to sustain to sustain that animal. Um, I really want to, and I'm keeping a one now that came through the rescue for Savannah monitors. I don't think they're appropriately kept in the hobby. So I'm kind of nerding out on that on my own. And that's not like a super cool lizard. I just want to do that. Um, But that's right. But not, you know, it's not a water or like a coming it doesn't have the flash and bang of a croc monitor or something like that but they're pretty cool in their own right you know and the care is weird and their diet is weird and and that kind of thing so like when i when i say things like crocs or whatever 
it, yeah, I want to come home and see a nine foot lizard that looks like a velociraptor because that's super sweet. Um, but what I really want to do is I want to figure out how to build a 16 foot tall, 20 foot long jungle in my shop. Yeah. And then I want to put that lizard in there and leave it alone because I don't want to get my face ripped off. Like I, it's, yeah. it's more like I, I want to be able to successfully keep that. I don't want to like walk it in a thing for Instagram. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to successfully recreate the biome and have it yeah. thrive in it versus take pictures on Instagram with a harness yeah. on. Yeah. I got so like the, the stuff that I, my list of wants now is, is crazier. You know, they're bigger or they're more expensive or what have you. But for me, it's because, well, I've kept these things, you know, I've recreated these habitats and now this one's going to be harder because it's really big. You know, I, ideally the first version of what I'm going to put a crack monitor in eventually someday will be what I'm going to put my green iguana in very soon. You know, I want to build this large arboreal jungle biome, know that I have it down and then move to an animal that like I can put a green iguana in there and then deal with the maintenance and deal with the animal and really have very little consequences if I wear gloves, even during breeding season, yeah. like you can grab them. It's not going to be fun, but you can do it. Yeah, they're gonna you know, all over you and all that stuff. Sure. But, yeah. You know, once, once that I built this, I understand my parameters, my mist and so on and so forth. Now it's the animal. And then that is a higher level of, all right, for real, don't get bit, watch the claws, pay yeah. attention, you know, it's it's kind of up in your game, not necessarily yeah. just upping your collection, I guess. That's interesting. So as, as like I that totally makes sense. Um, I've been watching a couple of these guys on YouTube that are um, building these giant enclosures for their large constrictors. And when I say it's not even an enclosure, it's a damn room, right? Yeah. Um, and at the moment, right now where I live, I don't have the space to do that. But my end goal is I want a freaking like 12 foot tall by like a 12 by 12 by 12 foot room that I can put each of my pop one pythons in that's planted and like it's got full right. spectrum UV. Like as I am in this hobby longer and longer or business or whatever you want to call it for me, it's a hobby. But I want to I want a place that I can in, like walk into and and kind of get a little slice of the environment and know that my animal is extremely happy and has every single, like, yes, I'm keeping my animals in very large cages, like the pop ones and stuff, but that isn't a room. That's not a, like a giant habitat. I would like to get to that point, you know? So I totally understand that, uh, I equate that to dart frogs, right? So you're creating an environment that for for most dart frog keepers like that's just expected mm-hmm. you know you, you go to a, an online retailer you go to a josh's frogs type of thing or what have yeah. you you know you go to port city pythons and you get your substrate you do hey. these things hey and, <laughs> I did that. But, but it's it's expected you know we're gonna i'm gonna get these plants you know I, I got these orchids i got a couple of these little mini ferns you know i i called up joe and i got some isopods and i got so on and so forth like that's that's just on the list, man. Yeah. Like you just yeah. have to do it. It's standard operating procedure for yeah. 
A little mil- military stuff for you, some SOPs right there. <laughs> Standard operate operating procedure for dart frogs. Why can't right. that translate into keeping large constrictors? I understand that, like, and I mean, I'm in the situation right now. My they're not in small cages. I keep my pop one, my adult pop ones, in uh, six by three by twos. So they're three foot deep. Six. I mean, it's plenty of space for an adult pop one python. Could it be better for them? A hundred percent. And why not, if I have the ability, provide that for them? You know, and yeah. plus it would be really cool to interact with that entire environment. I don't know. I, I we're definitely. I, I don't know if I would say we're missing the mark because you, you can only do what you can do. But I don't know. Maybe the, the the we're missing the strive to to be more as far as the community, as far as like what we're keeping them in. Uh, well, and I think I think a lot of that probably goes to some some of it is ignorance, and not in a negative term, but in literally yeah, that people ignorance lack isn't a negative thing. I mean, it's just lack of knowledge. So, like for me, my wife uh, manages a hardware store, and so I'm always wandering around like, ah, oh, that's a broken shower stall. Like I remember seeing back in the day dudes that kept green tree monitors and blue tree monitors and black tree monitors in old shower stalls. And they would like wander around construction sites and wait for a dude to break one and then ask Mm. if they could take it or whatever, you know, but I I just think maybe it's a lack of knowledge on people's part to know how to do that, which I totally get. Um, But if you, so you're going to go to a, a big box store or to a reptile show, if we can ever have one again, um, and get like an all-in-one kit for what uh, crested or something. Yeah. Um, it that works and that's cool, but then get your all-in-one kit and try to keep some plants in it, you know, or just like that next little step. Yeah. And then, in 20, yeah, but in twenty years when you're me, you're gonna be like, okay, so my buddy has got a really cheap shipping container. And I think I can put a retic in it with some trees. That's what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> but it's the same thing, right? It's just, you know, I, I built a bunch of enclosures that are in my shop. You know, they're like eight by four by four. And then I got a couple of weird ones and I have all these giant uh, tubs in the basement or whatever. But, okay, well, why can't, you know, I have a 300 gallon trough that my gopher tortoise is in and then I don't have really have anything above it. Okay. Well, why don't you plant some ficus in it or something? Like why, you know, change out a light bulb above it for a plant light or yeah. it doesn't have to be, I didn't drop 50 G's yesterday yeah. to build a gopher tortoise enclosure. Like I waited till my wife called me and was like, yo, ficus are 25% off. And then I got three or, or whatever, you know, yeah. like I, I just think don't think it's a frame of mind kind of thing. Like, yes, it's so I'm my, my, um, my job or what I do for a living. I'm a, I'm a contractor. I'm constantly building and fixing things. That's what I do. All kinds of stuff. And so my mind is working in that way of like, okay, well we could do this, this, and this with for not very much money, you know, like I guess it's being in that realm. So like you said, ignorance being in that realm and understanding like, okay, I'm handy. I can build things. Why can't I do this? Why can't I make this that much better? I don't think that it's, uh, a negative thing per se for that people keep animals the way that we keep animals. It's just, uh, uh, I guess an ignorance and not knowing how to progress, 
you know, like yes. you take it to that next level. It's it's not that they're doing anybody's doing it out of negligence or anything like that. They just they don't even look at it at, as like, oh, we could do this. Like it's a possibility right. that you could build this elaborate environment for this one animal, you know. So well, and I think a lot of people get scared by cost because a, a lot of herpticulture is expensive, mm-hmm. especially especially when you try to do cool stuff. You know, I, I love, like, I'm not bashing those all-in-one enclosures and the kits and stuff. Like, they end up being super cool stuff, but they are pretty expensive for mm-hmm. some people. And then so you see people are like, oh, man, I, I got a 20 long and a screen top, and then I did my own thing, you know. Awesome. Extrapolate that out to, if you go to the feed store, the 300-gallon stock tank that my gopher tortoise is in was 160 bucks and that's the thing that's missing the mark man is that people don't know that like i spend more money at places like lowe's and tractor supply and feed stores on my reptiles than any kind of pet store or at shows or anything i spend so much more money on uh, i mean like or, or even like my rats like you don't like people talk about the the bag with of aspen with the snake on it versus going down yeah. to the feed store and you can buy a freaking bale of yep. of uh, aspen that's kiln dry or, or or pine shavings that's kiln dried for two dollars and fifty cents. Do you yep. know how much? I mean, that's so much savings, and it's just because they don't know. You know, like yes, absolutely. I, I mean, and it's just being savvy and 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 kind of. I don't know. I guess being in the hobby or hobby or, or living this lifestyle that we live for long enough to where you're like, I really want to do this, but I can't spend $300 on one animal for pet shavings a month. You know, I mean, that was, I mean, that's a dumb example, but you know what I'm saying? So. Well, and I just, the hobby or industry or however you want to frame it has done crazy, amazing things. Right like the mist systems and the LEDs and the the lights and all the equipment, right? So take all of that that is super amazing and then you you don't have to do that. Like you you don't need to string LEDs or learn to code to make a mist system or whatever. Like all of that's provided for you and now you just need this next little step. You know, like I was goofing around about the shipping container thing. Um, but like we have priced a shipping containers for, uh, a swimming pool, an in-ground swimming pool. You can make ponds out of them and stuff. I honestly think that's and, a fantastic idea. I don't think that was a goofy idea at all. I think that nah. that's a really badass idea. You no, it would be super cool. Like a couple grand a piece. They're not very right. expensive. But how many, so someone will hear us say that on the podcast or is watching this in the chats. There's like 80 alerts on my chat thing on my screen right now. Um, they probably heard that and were like, that's insane. You know, that of course that dude's going to drop 10 G's on a thing and then buy a $5,000 platinum retic or whatever. No, man. Like it, it's still a lot of money. I'm not saying that it's not. Well, I'm not but, it's not a lot of money, but, but in like, relation to what you're purchasing, two grand is not that much. Right. I, I just don't uh, think they, they know that. Right. So yeah. like if, if you got a really nice PVC cage, it's still a couple hundred bucks minimum. I mean, yeah, I mean, probably five. You're looking at like uh, four to five hundred dollars for anything that you're going to keep a large constrictor in. Sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so if, if it's like, all right, and it, 
a lot of that goes to like we I've listened to Joe on a bunch of different podcasts where we all kind of preach about that, about like people doing research or being better prepared and, and things like that for, for keeping these animals that kind of goes that way. Right. Like if, if you were going to get crazy and get Apodora and like, all right, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to get these really big snakes. They're very powerful. So on and so forth. I know all this stuff. Let me chill for like a year or two, roll my pennies yeah, and then I'm gonna buy, or I'm gonna go to Menards and wait to see in the back for one of the knocked out shower things, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna, it's gonna be stupid, and I'm gonna build it, and then I I bought some LEDs last year, and then I you know I saved up when the mist system was on sale, and then I you know and like so on and so forth, and it, it's a project. Yeah. Like if you're remod, like I literally was remodeling my bathroom today. That's why I'm on this trick. But like, <laughs> I bought my sink last year on sale because i knew that i was going to put this gigantic blue sink in my bathroom at some point and then it sat in my garage until i did it because i had to retile the floor and that took forever because tile's expensive and i bought it on sale like do the same thing like okay i'm gonna i got this and then all right i'm gonna wait to buy my plants until i get the lizard because i gotta have that and then i'm gonna get some substrate i got this list all right cool and then you got this whole pile of stuff sitting in your garage and then you blow a week's vacation and then turn half of your garage into a water monitor enclosure or, or whatever. Yeah. But you, you didn't buy a water monitor 18 First, months ago. Yeah. You, yeah. You're going to buy a water monitor in a month after you just yeah. dropped, you know, in total, you probably spent three grand yeah. over, over a year and a half. And then you bought a $150 lizard yeah. because you knew it was going to get eight feet long. Yeah. You know, it just, I don't think, that's not a frame of mind for, for it's most not people. and i don't know that you can you can i mean even people listen to this podcast that are are new into the hobby or into into keeping um will listen to it and take it seriously just because i think that that frame of mind comes with experience and like keeping Absolutely. these animals and and you think no i can do it i can do this i can just slap this together and then you you do that which i think all of us are guilty of right on the spot of doing this right now you slap yeah. stuff together <laughs> and then you're like shit this is not how i wanted to do this this is i wish that i had waited or whatever and i mean you can talk to people till you're blue in the face they're gonna do what they want to do you know so sure and uh i mean yeah i yeah, guess that's just like, like doing, it, doing it and yeah i would say like the i built this whole collection and now i'm at the point where oh shit, I don't actually want to keep all of these animals and I don't want to keep them how I have to keep them having this number of animals. So um, I actually, I just finally bought, I ended up, I started building an olive enclosure, an eight foot cage. And then uh, after it was sitting for like three months undone because I got super, super busy, uh, I just bought one. Uh, Yeah, so so now I have a half built eight foot enclosure, but I ended up getting an eight foot PVC um, Chris Foley built it with, I'm finally going to have light fixtures. So I'm going to work with uh, halogen lights and I'm going to slowly, slowly see how all that stuff works. And cause I haven't messed with uh, too much of using anything than heat tape and, and like uh, heat panels and stuff like that. So I think that's really where the hobby is going and where the technology and husbandry 
is going and things like UVP, I'm also going to eventually be able to hook that up as well because there's actually going to be sure. fixtures. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited just to, to mess with that stuff, even though eight feet is not – I mean, most people keep them in a six-foot cage, right? But still, eight feet for like a 10-foot python. Well, yeah. I'd love to have a much larger – you know, I, I only have so many eight-foot walls in this house. I literally have one eight-foot wall without any instructions, <laughs> which, which is my bedroom, in which uh, I previously would not have been able to do that. But uh, now that I'm by my lonesome, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And so I'm going to put that shit in my bedroom. And uh, so I'm super pumped about so that. So you know what you need to do with that other eight-foot enclosure is get another olive python. So oh, dude, no, I'm going to have it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a divider down the middle. Oh, you're gonna make it to where they can go between the two of them? It no, can go no, nothing them? crazy like that. Uh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna basically just put a piece of wood and divide it and make two four foot oh, okay. water and then my uh, my carpet. So yeah, your water definitely deserves that. Your water python's the chillest water python I've ever messed with, dude. Super yeah, chill. yeah, one of uh, super chill. It's a rare animal, so yeah. it's like you know, yeah. like not like rare, like the species which is kind of oh. rare just because people don't like them but also it's a very very well behaved animal yeah. for the species it's yeah. really amazing yeah so I'm, I'm super super pumped to start messing with that um i mean austin i know that you just built this bioactive enclosure was it for your i believe it was for your amazon yeah it was for a red phase uh atb that i got it's a wild caught i got it about two years ago or no about a year year and a half ago like la not this last February, but the February before last NARBC Arlington. Uh, but I, I I did that with uh, David Braun's stuff, and then uh, that's my very first bioactive enclosure, and it's working out great, man. All those springtails and uh, uh, isopods I got from you are like very prolific. <laughs> the, the whole inside of it, you just sit there at nighttime and it's crawling with isopods. The whole enclosure it's pretty cool but uh that's my first time ever messing with any kind of bioactive enclosure and uh i really dig it you know i don't know that i would want a bunch of them um but i think i'm definitely going to go that route for all of my atbs i would like to do some kind of very large enclosure this is kind of my um this is my my uh it's this is my thought process right now as far as all my atbs are concerned i want to do a very large like six foot long by like four or five feet tall um and two foot deep uh like completely bioactive enclosure and then do like a third of the floor or the bottom of it as a as an aquarium and do some kind of fish inside the aquarium with atbs with like a glass front where you can still see the the fish and then have all your substrate on the other side completely planted and then do like a group like a like I know everybody hates on it, but I I uh, cohab all the time with like my brittles pythons and stuff like that. So I I as long as you're not feeding in the same enclosure, it's pretty chill. Um, and I would like to keep all of them kind of in maybe not this all of them in the same enclosure, but like a pair in the same enclosure. This giant planted just something I could come out and like watch and look at and and enjoy a little bit. I think. I kind of got to a point in my keeping that I was, it was very methodical. I had a cleaning day and I, I wasn't getting to enjoy my collection like I wanted to and like sitting out there and watching things. And I think it's cause I was keeping very sterile, you know, and, uh, 
uh, I think that that would be pretty awesome to to do a completely just just giant planted uh, Viv that uh, and I and I build all my own stuff typically. I, I buy racks, but uh, as far as caging is concerned, I build all my own caging, and uh, I. Uh, I think that I'll, I've got this vision in my head. I'm doing a horrible job of describing it, but I've got this vision in my head of what I'm going to end up doing. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. So, Yeah. And the, the more and more we get into this stuff, the deep, I mean, you find that it's a rabbit hole. Just a, obviously we're prone to getting into the details of all these different things. We've collected all these different animals and researched all these different animals. So it's like, it's just another thing to have fun with. And yeah. the more animals I keep that way, the more I want to do it. And having, dude, having gargoyle geckos in the litter. Where how like, are the gargs? Do you like them? My my daughter's wanting to get some gargs. Do you dig them? Uh, maybe not for the kids. Um, I mean, they they are good. <laughs> they are good. The only thing is that they're they're a lot faster and jumpier than say like aggressive. The aggressive geckos are pretty like are not as close to athletic and they're a little bit more predictable. Okay. So like you're less liable for the kids to like kind of lose them because they get me kind of fast. Um, but, but I open them up and it's like, you know, I have to look around for like five minutes and it's right in your face kind of a thing. Like they blend in so perfectly to their surroundings. Like, so I've almost got nailed in the face like two or three times by my ATB because of this damn bioactive viv so like it makes you realize just how camouflage they are like when i'll go out there at nighttime and i'll i'll be spraying everything down doing my normal misting stuff and i'll open up the bioactive viv and i'm thinking like it's up in its arboreal hide just hanging out and all of a sudden like i focus and it's like right here in my face it's it was on the perches like all just in plain sight but because the pattern breaks up and i've got all that uh that false wall and stuff you can't see it it's just right there it happened it has happened i'm not even kidding like four or five times where i'm like whoa oh man i gotta do a better job of like evaluating the situation because uh i mean they just blend in so well it's, it's pretty interesting that makes sense. Yeah, that's something that's something that I really enjoy. Like even if you go to a zoo and you have all those naturalistic enclosures and you're sitting there for a certain amount of time, like trying to spot the animals. I just I like that kind of stuff. And with with like the the Lichianus gecko, it looks just absolutely perfect on like cork bark. Do you have a leechy? Yeah, I just got one. Well, did you? Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Congratulations. It's that's a baby. It's you're, like you're in the big boy world like now. You're in the big boy gecko world. Those are badass. I'm I'm a little like I don't know how to treat it exactly yet. It's really small. It's a little skittish. Um, so yeah, I've just been letting him chill out. Uh, he hasn't really eaten yet, but even when I when I got my gargs, like for a while, I was holding him way too much and like playing yeah. with him way too yeah. much, and they weren't eating. And then I was like, "What's going on with this?" And then I'm like, "Wait a second. Go back to the fundamentals of keeping reptiles. Like, leave don't them fuck alone with your animals, <laughs> right? Yeah. When you get and stuff like that." So I'm like, "Oh, I'm I, being a child." I'm a huge fan of the the term the benign neglect. Like the just leave. I literally like I handle my animals. I mean, maybe once every two weeks or so. Like, and that's. Like when I say handle, I mean hook out so that I can clean the cage, do the stuff, put them back. Now my pop one pythons, I handle a little bit more just because 
they're freaking i don't know i'm 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 a super dumb geek about it i really like them but uh uh other than that everything else is like like all my morelia and stuff i kind of just let them be man like i don't i don't feel the need to pull them out all the time and and stuff like that and a lot of my my bigger stuff like my uh like my big female brettles pythons they don't want me to pull them out they're assholes like after they after they have their second clutch after breeding i don't know what it is i and I've talked to a couple people. I talked to Casey about it, and he was saying that he has had the same issues. I've had females that, like, before they had laid any eggs, they were totally chill. And then after something happened, like, after they, they had their first or second clutch, they're almost, like, you have to handle them with a hook. Like, they're not they're not friendly. There's, there's no just reaching in there and pulling them out. It's They will light you up. And it is, trust me, it's not a pleasant bite. It hurts real bad. It's, it's unpleasant. So it's a big head, dude. I mean, I had one hit me. Like, let me see over here. Hold on, I gotta get the camera. Okay, right here, like in between the right here, like on the knuckles and in the soft part right here. And her teeth went down into my joint. It was un. It was not cool, man. It was not cool. It was awful. And so I'm like, okay, well, you guys are getting a hook from now on. Now my males are chill. They don't. I mean, I could pull my male brittles out all day long. They don't do anything. But those those big breedable females, they are. They just. It's, I don't know. It kind of sucks, man. Because my my Harris line female, she was. I mean, I could pull her out, put her on my shoulders. And she even after her first clutch, she was still cool. But after that second cl- clutch, I don't know if it's like a hormonal switch or she just is tired of being in captivity. But she she's a not the most tractable animal, and it sucks because I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever had an animal where you're like you have this pretty positive relationship with, and then all of a sudden it's just they're not having it anymore. And I don't know. But. Well, the it's a little bit warmer in my room upstairs. Uh, it's actually where I have all my shipping stuff, but I have the pythons in there as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was showing my buddy who was over yesterday, and it's a little extra hot. I I took that water out. She was good, and then uh, but then again, she was acting a little tense and a little bit weird. So I was like keeping the sharp end away from me. Then yeah. I put her back, and then she just struck in the air like a weirdo. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that animal that we were just talking about, how docile she is. Uh, I mean, I said docile for a water, so yeah. they're all usually <laughs> Relative. So. It's relative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, Bill, do you have uh, do you have a bunch of pythons? or I feel like we haven't talked about your snakes. Um, yeah, we have kind of all of the above. I have, um, I have an IJ, if that's what you want to keep calling them or however you want to say it. We can that's really exactly. mess with people and just call them Popwins, and they'll get real confused about what you're talking I, about. That's the <laughs> part that, I, that irritates the shit out of me. <laughs> like uh, on NPR the other day, they were say they uh, Eric was like, who someone brought it up was like if they don't say Popwin carpet, it's confusing as fuck, and it really is. It's confusing. What are you don't talking call about? It an olive. Don't call a Popwin an olive either. Yeah, don't do that either. Right. That pisses me off. That makes me real yeah. mad. <laughs> But anyway, continue, um, Bill. Sorry, I didn't. didn't no, so um, I have an IJ. Actually, for I have quite a handful of Morelia. IJ, a jungle, um, and they're all just standard, typical examples. So I can show people. Most of them came through rescue um, avenues. Um, big old gray coastal that was the stereotypical 
oh, it's supposed to be the giant carpet, right? So it's like a nine-foot monster female that's bigger than my forearm, and she just doesn't care about anything because she's way fat. Um, <laughs> dude, I got her. Actually, I got two of them, and one almost immediately passed away because they're obviously terribly cared for. Um, it was one of those deals where, like, hey, if you take these two enclosures, you can have the snakes in them. And I was like, what are they? And the enclosures were super nice. I actually was inquiring about the enclosures. He was like, oh, yeah, look in there. The one's like a lunatic, so I don't want to mess with it. And there's just these two monster coastals. And I was like, yeah, they're going to go on a six-month diet. Sweet. Um, one didn't survive that ordeal. Um, but that the one that I currently have, um, it lit, I did not feed that thing for I har still hardly ever feed it. It's way too gigantic and fat. Um, I do have a male brettles, and then my male jungle is still very small. Um, there's a big old granite berm. I have a tiger retic, uh, a really small woma, handful of ATBs, a uh, handful of red tails. Rebo, whole bunch of colubrids, uh, like an eight-foot beauty snake. That thing's amazing. I love those. Um, yeah, kind of all of the above. What kind of uh, what color face ATBs do you have? Uh, I have a male Halloween, and then two females that are just plain old brownish ATBs, straight out of the oh, jungle from yeah. wherever they came from. Um, they and. So it's awesome that you said that because I co-have them as a trio and apparently I didn't know people hated on that. I don't care. Um, yeah, I that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think they would look so cool in this it's giant awesome. enclosure. I think it would be so badass. Oh, super cool. Dude, the enclosure yeah. I got them in is like four feet tall. Um, I got like a bunch of different, like I, I made different layers of like how the, how high they can get up and when they perch and do their thing and mm -hmm. like they kind of get their own stations and then as I water and spray, they like they, you know, who's got the better station for where it's raining? And then they'll try to move there. So I move the rain so they won't crowd each other. And like, oh, yeah, they interact, do all sorts. It's super cool. So do you do you uh, do you manually miss them or do you have a missing system? Manual. Manually, that's what I do, too. I kind of yeah. like it. I've thought about putting missing systems in and I'm like, I don't I'm kind of a little bit of a control freak when it comes to the collection. So I kind of just like being able to be like, yeah, I did that. It's, it's done. I don't know. Um, so the, I had yeah. a mist system on uh, an Imbronia enclosure specifically for that though, because I, I planted it out and I was very, I got really into the cloud forest aspect of those lizards. Mm -hmm. And I just, I live in Illinois. Like I can't recreate that on my, I can't just stand in my shop and miss this lizard all day like i just yeah, can't yeah, yeah. so like i had the system on that um for like just for that recreation to try to grow those plants and do those things um and it's it was great it, it works wonderfully um but that that was a singular thing everything else is manual okay so you must go, and I just I just got into the spraying game, really, because all I had was the ATB previously that I really had to spray. Now I'm spraying geckos all the time. Yep. You must have uh, you must have a shit ton of things to spray all the time, though. Oh yeah, I went to the hardware store with my wife, and I got one of the. Uh, it's like 
four or five gallons. It's got like a shoulder strap. You just carry that's it. I've got, I've got the yeah, exact got same one. thing from Tractor Supply. It's yep. like a three, mine's like three gallon. It's a three gallon cylinder with a shoulder strap. And I just sit there. It's so much better than sitting here going. Oh yeah. Yeah. You just pump it three times and you can do the whole collection. It does. Yep. <laughs> it's nice. But uh, yeah, I've got for my ATVs, I've got a, a orange, like a citrus phase, like nice. Uh, and then I've got a, a tiger, a orange tiger from Nick Mutton. And uh, this red, it's like it's a red phase. Its saddles are like green, and then its head is yellow, like an orangey yellow. It's pretty crazy looking. Whoa. I picked that. That one's wild caught. I picked that one up. It is, so my other two are real, like I can, as long as I'm not making fast movements, I can handle them. They're pretty tractable, but that wild caught, that's a, it's a, it was a, a juvenile when I got it. It's an adult now, but uh, it's not tractable at all. It'll musk and just, oh, it's, whoa. it smells like a tire fire, dude. If you, yep. Anytime I interact with it, I'm like, oh, oh, it's gross, man. <laughs> But I really dig them. They're so pretty. Like everybody hates on them because they're like they can be a little cantankerous, you know. But they're so pretty. It's like eye candy. How can you not like something that's that damn pretty? You know, it just sits there and it does all this hunting posturing and stuff at nighttime. And that's usually when I'm I, in my room the most. So I've never understood that mentality. Like there are so many different reptiles that get that that reputation of you know. Cause and ATBs are, are smaller, right? So yeah. it's, they're jerks. They're kind of little, you know, you really just set them up and, and watch them. And it's like, okay, well, there's an entire section of the industry dedicated to stuff like dart frogs and chameleons. What's the difference? Like it's, it's no little, it's, but it's, it's, li- it's little pretty stuff yeah. that you watch. Like yeah. tree monitors are little pretty monitors that you watch. And don't you know, all of the, yeah. All the Australian dwarfs that are smaller than Aki's, you don't play with them. They're too, it's like a leopard gecko on steroids. They're too fast. The, you, know, you build a cool rock enclosure and watch it because it's cool yeah. looking. Like yeah. why, why aren't ATBs like that? I don't, I don't understand where it got lost in translation. The need to touch. I don't like – I get – okay, so I guess I, I understand the need to touch for some things. If you need to touch it, Get a corn snake. Yeah, I was about to say, I do need to touch things. That must be why I have corn snakes, because I I literally like to hold them. There's a lot of animals that you can pull out and touch. Right, It's just a different sect, I guess, of the hobby. And just because because it's something you don't like doesn't mean that it's inherently bad. Like, you shouldn't just poo-poo it because – you, because you don't like it because you can't touch it. And I feel like that's a lot, that's where a lot of the hate with ATPs comes from is people are like, well, you can't pull it out and hold it. So it sucks. Well, no, well, man, but, they're foliage and red and they're beautiful. Like what, what, what? Well, I, don't know. I, so the snakes that you just described that you have, right. Mm-hmm. To me. And then, so I have, my male is like a crazy black and white scatter shot pattern with, devil red eyes like crazy looking looney tune snake yeah. and he hates be- and he hates people fine that's yeah. cool you, yeah. you can't touch that. but and i i'm probably gonna make a bunch of people mad but <laughs> um what is the difference between the snake that i just described and like the coolest green tree python on the on the scene right now there's What's not different? there's not a like difference you, why why 
like green trees are like, oh, I really want, you know, all these crazy colors in this snake that is supposed to be green. And then you can't ever touch it and it's really hard to take care of. All right. Well, why don't you buy an ATB that looks like that already and then get a green tree python that's green? Yeah, exactly. And you, you did the same thing. Like it's little, yeah. it's beautiful, and it hates you. Isn't that what you wanted? And then you bred like 50 <laughs> generations to get a black one? Yeah. Like yeah. Why, why didn't you just buy a black one, dude? Like what's yeah. – what? I don't know. I, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with it's you. It's always I, been I, weird to me. And I'm not hating on green trees. I definitely dig them. They're cool as hell. No, they're Joe's, super cool. Joe's got one, but – and, and I get Green Tree – I'm good friends with a lot of Green, green Tree guys like uh, Ian and Mark Hager and stuff. But it just – I don't know. They're cool. It's just not something that I really want to mess with. Like it's not it's not in my realm of stuff. Maybe at some point. I don't. It just doesn't really jazz me up, man. Like it's not my, my I'm, thing. I'm going to be honest. After having it for so long, I mean, he doesn't move. I try to put him on display, and he does poorly. And, you know, he'll have bed sheds. He won't eat properly. I have to keep him, you know, in a bin basically and put him on top of a shelf and not if I put him where my eggs are at this time of the year, like last year, and he stopped eating just because there was too much traffic. Yeah, It's like uh, it's a little bit more boring than say your ATV is always going to eat and stuff like that. And I love my green tree. And but then again, like I, I didn't go for a designer. I got a U.S. Captain Born and Bred Animal. You got a but green, it was, green tree. Yeah, yeah, but it was like 400 bucks. You know, it's not like I was going to take out a second mortgage on my house like some of these people are doing. So, well, and the thing is, is like what you just described about green trees, how it's finicky and it's not, doesn't display well when in high traffic areas. ATBs don't display well with a bunch of people moving around. They want to hide. I I feel like most of your arboreal stuff doesn't. Mm -hmm. They're trying to hide. So that whole display animal, it's right out there. I feel like any any green tree that you put out or ATB that you put out in a high traffic area is going to get stressed out and doesn't want. It's not going to want to be out in open plain view. It's just. That's the normal thing. People just have these expectations where, oh, it's so pretty. I'm going to put it in my living room next to my TV and people are going to ogle over it. That's not how it works. It's it, with the ATB or a green tree. I, thought, I just honestly, think it's funny that he described a ball python. <laughs> <laughs> it's just on a stick. Yeah. Just saying. It's yeah. really the only difference. <laughs> I mean, my ATBs, I had, I had my red phase in the living room for quite a while while I was in quarantine. And you know when I saw it? In the morning, in the nighttime, during the day, it was hiding in a in a uh, corrugated tube, and you couldn't see it at all. All you saw was the green plants planted in its enclosure. It is well, what it same is, man. Here. I have you just can't uh, have uh, outrageous expe- expectations about these animals. They are not comfortable with a bunch of big monkeys walking around, you know. So, well, that's like the the trio that I have. They're in an uh, arboreal enclosure, and then there's a duplicate enclosure right next to them with the male jungle. And then across from that is our baby uh, front came in, and they are all in the bathroom of the shop. So it's the lights are off in there. The doors closed the vast majority of the time, unless a visitor has to use the bathroom. Um, and the only lights are in their enclosure, and they're, they do their own thing. It's all set. Like, they're not bothered at all. So that when I do go in there, I don't turn the light on and I chill and I can watch them do their thing, but they're not phased by me. You know, there's no traffic. I don't turn the lights on. 
it's it's intermittent that the room would be lit or and it's never loud or anything you know it's just the person using the bathroom um i did that on purpose you know that that male jungle is kind of high strung and the baby uh trig i wanted her to be able to settle in and, and do her own thing um and then atbs are jerks so they're by themselves yeah yeah I think I, I have a unique situation just because it's only me and I get to have my ATB in the living room. But right. uh, he does he does perch every once in a while. And uh, yeah, he was perching today right at the corner. But a lot of times he'll go to like the corner of the enclosure and kind of hide out for quite a bit. Um, One second, gentlemen. I got to I got to run real quick and take a potty break. I'll be right back. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I uh, yeah, I love. I, I like having that animal in there, but I was just, I was talking uh, to my buddy yesterday and saying, Hey, maybe I should get something that's a little bit more of a display. Uh, maybe a pair of uh, Baron's racers or something in there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about display animals though, I went to uh, Scott Borden's house. He has these little uh, Clemmeri, I believe they're called, which is like one of the dwarf geckos. The ones that are like, yeah electric blue and green and like just the most amazing thing you've ever seen and yep. those things you can have them all set up you can have them set up bioactive in a communal setup like you know i don't know how many he probably has like four or five in there and they interact with each other and you see them like yep. head bob at each other and like i don't know why that isn't you know like the biggest pet animal it just to just to watch but the thing about stuff like that is like it's it's all of those bright active bug eaters, you know, that that is the that's a natural part of their life. You know, like those animals have to risk it to be out and go after bugs and do the things that they do. So it's not weird for them to be running around on the plants by us. Either they have the camouflage to think that the crazy monkeys won't see them or they're bright blue. So the monkeys should be scared to eat them because they're poisonous. You know, it you you have to find animals that already interact like that and they're already bold and out in the open, either because of their hunting practices or because there's something like a dart frog where I don't care, you can't eat me, you'll die, or or whatever their reason is. You know, like my Arizona mountain king snake is a it's a tiny little snake. Um, he sits right out, he doesn't hide from anybody, he doesn't care. The entire snake is designed to scare you into thinking it's a coral snake. Of course he yeah. sits out. You know, my, my bull snakes don't, they hide. And then when you mess with them, they hiss and rattle at you because that's what they're meant to do. Like slink back to the back of the enclosure. Yeah. <laughs> don't look at me. And if you see me, I'll fake like I'm a rattlesnake and then yeah. bite you square in the face. Yeah. You, you know what the animal does. Don't put it in your living room. Like that just yeah. makes sense, dude. You know? Yep. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, we were talking about creating all these elaborate setups and stuff like that. Yesterday, my Louisiana pine was just, and she's in a tub and she was just hissing and striking, even struck the front of the front of the tub. And it's like, you know, I'm going to have to buy like a boa rack eventually, like an ARS boa rack and black out the front. And that's an yep. animal that spends the most of its life in a burrow. It, yep. it does not want to be disturbed at all. So I think, you know, that's where that animal deserves to be or wants to be. So, uh, you know, For sometimes sure. I guess you can't go with these elaborate setups with some that, That's how that one, the one, uh, the one uh, picture office that I have is this uh, animal that was uh, rescued that was jacked up that I got. And I've had it since it was like this big. 
and now it's four or five foot long. And when I pull it, when I open up its tub, it's in a 41 quart breeder, uh, just tub. And I pull, I open it up and it, it's like, no, nah, man, I don't want anything to do with you. It goes all the way to the back. That's still covered. And it's like, just change the water bowl out. Fuck off. I don't, I'm, I'm good, man. I don't, yep. I don't need any of that. I don't need any of that. I still pull it out just because I'm selfish and whatever. <laughs> But, yeah, and they don't they don't allow any type of uh they don't allow you to get one over on them as far as they're always looking at you. Like you said before, like they'll yeah. slink backwards yeah. while still looking at you. Yeah. Like they never trust you. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. still here. Yeah. They're keyed on man. You put your hand in there without a hook, they're gonna they're gonna nail you. That's that's for sure. And uh, once I get mine out, she or he is still very uh like wild he's still like kind of wiggling and stuff but he i don't i don't know i guess because he's wild caught he's a little bit more uh wily but he he i've never been bit by him he doesn't musk me i can just tell that he's uncomfortable and so i keep our interactions to like a one to two minute interaction i hold him put him back in his tub i don't i don't try to overstress the animal and that's a once a week interaction at at most maybe probably once every two weeks you know, I don't pull it out every single time I do spot cleaning and water bowls, but I also don't want to overstress the animal. You know, whenever it came to me, it was, it had a hole in its back and the end of its tail was bitten off by a house cat. So Ooh. I, it was, and I'm telling you, it was this big and now it's a four to five foot long animal. And I just pretty much am going to keep it until it dies and I'm just going to give it a good home, you know, and. I don't have any plans of breeding it. I enjoy my interaction with it and I respect the animal in the way that it wants to be uh, left alone for the most part, you know? So, yeah. So have you, uh, Bill, just rescuing animals and stuff like that? Have you gotten any, do you have any like morph animals or you have mostly wild types? Um, it's kind of a mixed bag. So the, the two, Big pythons in my shop are morph, uh, the granite berm and the tiger retic. Um, honestly, because it's getting harder to find normals of the big stuff. Um, and anybody who does education needs to have big stuff just because that's what kids want to see. Um, when it comes to the snakes, yeah, pretty much everything is wild type with the exception of one of my bulls and my daughter's ball python because she wanted a pretty one um but yeah it's it's pretty much all wild type stuff the the one bowl that i have i have a hypo just like everybody does still water hypo. team wild type man team wild type <laughs> um but see it's beneficial to me because most of the lessons i teach are based off of that and so i i don't i do teach some genetics lessons but it's only if you know, like a school were to ask for it, or, or maybe I've done some at some museums or some charity events for zoos and things where they, they do want a scientific lesson. They don't just want boa selfies. Um, and then I'll get more into it. Um, but even for that, like I, I try to teach that more on locality phenotypes where I start to talk about, you know, like I used to do a thing where I taught king snakes across America and I would start out talking about king snakes in California 
and then go into, you know, Arizona mountains because scientists suck at naming things. So they're found in the mountains in Arizona. <laughs> and then, you know, Mexican blacks because they're black and in Mexico. Real original, yeah. guys. <laughs> but like, but I would show like, you know, here's a Cali, you know, all right, here's a Cali that we used to call coastal because it's brown and has a stripe. And then a Cali 50-50, you know, and then you go to desert. And it's like, okay, well, literally this one's in California. And then if you muddle the stripes some and it's more yellow, it's in the desert next to California. And then I would just, you know, teach my way across until I got to Florida and the brooks. And like, it's this weird black and spotted mottled crazy looking thing. And I'm like, nah, it's cool. They're all king snakes. I feel like that's almost an easier way of teaching genetics, honestly, on a locality level. Like you're, you're, you're teaching it in a way that, is applicable to where they're at. I, I dig that, man. That's cool. And it, cause like I, I had morph ball pythons for a little bit to teach that type of a lesson. And then when I was in college, we used morph corn snakes and it ended up just kind of being like a Punnett square lesson. And yeah. that sounds a whole lot like math and kids don't really want to hear it. Um, it worked great in, at the college setting. And then, you know, I would teach high school kids as a college student or teach other college students um, because they expected the academic answer. And they're like, I listen to this nerd talk about Punnett squares and it sucks and whatever. Um, and then I could just show the visual result of the Punnett square by handing them corn snakes. And that was like the incentive and fun part. Yeah. Um, but now when I teach it, it's more on, you know, okay, well, this snake's ancestors evolved to be this phenotype, and then the ones that didn't look like that got eaten, and so on and so forth. And then even now, when people like, there are some hardcore nerds doing locality water snakes and rat snakes and stuff now. That you can you can get a little down the rabbit hole on Instagram and find really cool, weird stuff for like people that enjoy getting mussed on for no reason and keep. From like water road, yeah, stuff like yeah. That. but like from like specific counties in florida and then and i'm telling you you can see the difference like yeah. when you ask it like oh yeah what do you care about a water snake from so-and-so parish in louisiana or from this place in florida and the dude's like well they're 20 miles apart but in between those two swamps is a dry part they can't get there and so they look different and it's like super crazy hardcore differences and then i can teach the genetics off of that yeah, I if if some people are hating on locality like uh, water snakes, this yeah, here is a broadband so awesome. water snake. That's so awesome. Yeah, so that's these so are awesome. these are actually typically found just north of Dallas. Um, hey, check it out. If I could find a snake that looked like that, I would get mussed on every day. I'll tell you that right now. I don't these know. These snakes are incredible. I, I don't know what it is about the reds and oranges, and I think that's what draw drew me to the ATVs. Red and, and brettles, pythons and stuff, like that on a snake, like red and orange on a snake, I just, I can't. It it it, uh, it fires me up, man. It, it's so what's funny for me is um, I'm red-green color deficient. I'm not oh, yeah. colorblind. I just struggle with it. Um, you got a red beard. How is that possible? <laughs> Your beard is um, more red than mine. I know that the lighting in here fucks mine up and it looks – brown but i have a red beard so here's this red red though (laughs) right but it looks brown to me i don't i don't even know yeah um but like that that's always my thing man is like it 
that's kind of what sparked me on that. Like when I saw animals like that, like, yo, if that looks bright red to me, it's probably off the charts because most of the time people tell me stuff and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. looks brown. But you that looks so, red to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, they're crazy. No, that looks like magma. That looks like, <laughs> yeah. that looks like a yeah. magma in Hawaii to me. See, but the, the thing about me, though, like, so my wife um, is not nearly as big of a reptile nerd, but she does the business with me. Um, she is convinced that our IJ and the Brettles, she's like, yeah, dude, they're just brown carpets, whatever. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. One yeah. is green yeah. and one is red. It's totally different. <laughs> and they're like, you're the guy that can't see those colors. I'm telling you, it's the same snake. Like, she literally, I'll ask her to get one out, and she'll pick the wrong one up. She cannot. Looks like it, the same thing to her. My whole back female squidge is red. Like, oh, yeah. red, red. And uh, uh, I can't, like, I'm super pumped to, to, to breed her to her. I've, I've got a whole back male that he's not as red, but he's got the blacks that I'm, that I'm wanting for, for this line breeding that I'm doing. And, uh, I mean, he's definitely red, but he isn't like her, uh, but it's, it's her brother and I'm going to put them together this season. And I am very excited about what's going to happen. I may be holding back that whole clutch for about a year or two before I sell anything. Um, well, I know um, last time I was there, I mean, you had the majority of your animals from, I think, yeah. you know, months prior anyhow. Oh dude, I'm still, I, I, I've got a, so I produced two clutches last season, 2019 in September. And I have, so I've made, I produced 30 animals out of those two clutches and I have, 27 of them still because i'm <laughs> i'm holding on to them and looking at what's what i'm i'm actually pretty close to uh I've, I've i've got it pretty dialed in now they're pretty close to a year so i've got an idea but uh i but there's so out of those 27 i've picked one there's one yeah. animal that is that is gonna stay with me and the rest are gonna oh, go wow. for sale but, did uh, it happen to be a female because i know you got your male yeah. Uh, so I've got my male. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to do some genetic diversity. And so I have one. So one of the clutches is one that I've reproduced three times, yeah, three times. It's a fours to uh, Harris line, Brittles Python. And so I kind of know what's going on with that. So I didn't really, uh, I mean, I've looked at them. There's some definite like standouts, but I don't need any more females and all of the standout. It seems like anytime I pair those two, the standouts are female every single time. They're always female. Um, but I've got the, I, I paired that same male that a fours line male to a, uh, a undocumented, but probable LASIK line animal. It's uh, I got the, the male from uh, uh, Jeff back. Um, knows Jeff back. Uh, he's, uh, he's in the air force right now, but, uh, he was pretty into the hobby and he's kind of doing his military thing and, I'm sure he'll be jumping right back into it whenever he gets out. Um, and he gave me his female, who's this probable line LASIK animal, who is like like a 50-50 split. It's, her black comes like like 50% of her lower body is black with the banding. But like she doesn't get any red down past 50% of her body. It's pretty wicked looking, Carlos Python. Uh, usually it's like just like that last third, but she it's just yeah. black all the way up to that about halfway and uh uh she produced a male from uh 
paired to that F4s line mail that I've got, and uh, he's staying with me. And so what I'm trying to do is just I'm trying to mix a lot of these lines together and get these real high contrast animals, and I'm I'm pretty pumped about it. I, I, <laughs> this this season, it, it makes me feel like I've been in it for the long haul. That I've uh, that I want to be able to like reproduce from the same animals that are from animals that I produced, you know, like that's a good feeling for me. You know, it means that I don't feel like a flash in the pan. I feel like I'm in it for the long haul and I care about this stuff. I care about the people involved. I care about this community as a whole, you know? So. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost to that point. I'll feel really good next year is when I'll really get animals that I have a like deep connection to that I've, Hatched out, even though because I've let some go, I've made some bad decisions and animals have gone. Haven't yeah. we all? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but hopefully this year. But um, yeah, guys, I'm I'm not gonna get you in trouble with the wives or anything because we've gone over two hours. But um, it's it's always nice. Uh, like uh, I know this is for. I mean, we kind of made it like an Independence Day. We had a couple of veterans on, but it's nice when you talk to other people in the military. And I think you guys know this too, even if we weren't both into snakes, which definitely helps uh, there's a different kind of connection and you're able to easily talk to each other more than just a normal person. At least that's how I feel. So um, I really appreciate you guys coming on and having this talk, man. It's great. It's honestly great having three people because you guys could talk to each other and I could attend to the chat and uh, I didn't have to work as hard. Oh, hey, um, I actually did see in the chat that somebody asked. Um, the Kribo that I randomly mentioned in my list of snakes is a blacktail. Somebody I was going to ask you. I meant to ask you what, what kind of Kribo is that? So. Yeah, it's a female blacktail. Um, awesome. So that actually came through the rescue uh, along with the beauty snake. And wow. it, those, those two snakes are one of the few success stories. So the woman uh, who ended up having to relinquish the animals, it wasn't. I mean, it was not a, a positive experience for her. Um, she, but she it was she was older. She wasn't able to care for them anymore. Um, so it it literally she had kept them perfectly adult size, like no no issues. It was that she had she was elderly and then yeah. couldn't care for them. Um, so I ended up with an eight foot beauty male beauty snake that is perfect, um, and then an adult uh, female blacktail Kribo that she has um, like a cataract in one eye, but otherwise is, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong. Like they're the best rescue animal possible is that the owner literally kept them until the end of their life, as opposed to the reptiles. Um, yeah. It was super cool. That is really cool. Those are two uh, species of snakes that you do not hear being rescued very often. So and it's right. probably because she kept them to the point of, that she could no longer do it, which is, yeah. I mean, sad, but really cool that you were able to hold that torch and keep moving it on, you know? Yeah, you and have to have the, a deep interest to get animals like that. Yeah, for well, sure. The, the best part is, like, so when the, the folks at the rescue called me about it, I, I'm the guy that takes the giant weird stuff because I have the facility, yeah. and I either foster it for them or, or whatever. Most of the time it stays because you can't ever adopt out giant things. Nobody wants them. Um but like I heard the backstory and I, in my head, I was like little old lady. So I thought like, I didn't think adult, 
you know, like adult. Blue beauty, they're a handful. Dude, I showed up and like the lady was like, no, for real. It's an eight foot beauty snake. <laughs> and the creeper. and like that, that the, the beauty snake is pretty chill. Eats small rats, normal, you know, skinny arboreal. It's cool. Um, the beauty snake, the, or not the beauty snake, sorry, the Kribo. Uh, the only way I have gotten the Kribo to calm down is I don't feed it with the snakes. I feed it thawed meat chunks or chicken pieces when I feed the carnivorous lizards. Hmm. Like th- that thing ate, so a bunch of my buddies are all hunters and we hunt um, snow geese. for. The, it's an EPA thing. It's a, um, they're considered a nuisance, so they shoot a bunch it? of them. What did you say? It broke up a little bit. What did you say? Snow geese. Snow geese. So okay. they're like, right. they're, they're a little bit smaller than a Canadian. Um, but they do yeah. a bunch of these nuisance hunts where they mm-hmm. just shoot a ton of them. And it, it's pretty wasteful. So when my, when my friends go, we always make them into sausage. Yeah. And, but you get like a hundred. You, you can't make that much sausage. It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they all come to me. And then we clean them and bag them. And that's how I feed my lizards because we don't want to waste it. Um, so like she eats a, a goose breast. Like that's how I get her to chill out. Because otherwise she is just full on at the door, like coming for your face. So you got to fill her up to, to chill Oh, her dude, out. like she, she'll eat a drumstick. Like I, I, I go to the grocery store when chicken is on sale and buy a package of drumsticks. So you're a peace feeder too. I, I like that. People, yeah, Austin, Austin does, that, you do that with poplins, right? Dude, I feed uh, – my poplins eat all kinds of shit. Like, oh, yeah. I, Dude, I feed them chicken drumsticks. I fed them whole chickens that my dogs have killed because <laughs> waste not want not, right? Um, yep. I've, I've fed my poplins, uh, guinea pigs. They eat all kinds of stuff, dude. Like, I, I don't, I mean, I get the argument of like, oh, you got to feed whole prey. Okay. I get, I get like for the gut bacteria and biome, like, yeah, that's necessary. And so what I do is I take a whole prey quail, I'll toss a giant quail in there, and then I put six drumsticks in there. There's your yep. whole prey. You're good. You're good to go, man. Like, I, I don't understand why there's such this crazy negative, like, oh, you're a Tyson chicken feeder. What? <laughs> you're an asshole. That's what you are. You're an asshole. Well, and like, I, I use those snow geese whole. For like yeah, just to yeah. just stimulate the monitors. Yeah. I mean, it's a pain for me to clean up, but yeah. like, dude, a, a five foot Argus monitor will do some damage to a goose. You yeah, know? my, my pop ones. I'll, I'll, what I do is I chop the beak off and I chop the legs, the the feet off because I sure. found that they have trouble. They do. I've had regurg, not the whole. They haven't regurged the whole thing, but I'll go out there and they'll regurge a whole chicken foot, like a whole yeah. fucking chicken foot. And so yep. I'm like, okay, well, let's just not have that stress at all. And I'll I'll just take a hatchet, chop the chicken feet off, crack the beak, just because I feel like that's not really digestible anyway. And then yeah. I toss the whole chicken in there. And I mean, I don't know, waste not, want not. I I don't really. I try not. As long as I feel like people are are keeping their animals the way they should, I try not to judge them on what they're feeding them. I mean, come on, man. Like they're wild. Like the animals are gonna like. If they would eat it, if you're offering it to them and they're going to eat it, they would eat it in the wild, right? Would I mean, would you agree with that or disagree? Like, 
Yeah. If, if you're offering how many an pictures a- show up on social media of king cobras and all these other giant snakes eating roadkill? Yeah, yeah. Like, I've 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 went squirrel hunting and fed my snakes squirrels. Obviously, yeah. they're frozen for months at a time before I'm introducing yep. those squirrels to my snakes. But what my I mean, reptile bow is a mess up a squirrel for sure. Yeah, they'll eat them all day long. Why? Why yep. not? Make sure there's no shot or anything, or better yeah. yet, use a twenty-two yes. and there is no shot and yep. feed them to your animal. I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, there ain't no more. What is it? Uh, grass-fed, grass finish. There you go, buddy. Yep. Grass-fed, grass finish. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a. It's definitely a new thing, also in the hobby is just mixing up what you're feeding your animals. And I think that's super beneficial. I've been oh, doing yeah. it for a long time. I I've never really stuck to one thing with my animals. Uh, there are a few animals that I can't get to eat anything else. And I have an African software colony for that. And that is what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. And that yours don't smell, which is amazing. Well, African softwares don't really smell, man. You change it. You clean them every two weeks. They're, it's a clean, I mean, for a rodent, and I don't like rodents. I'm not a huge fan. I don't, like, if, I, I couldn't keep a European rat calling. I couldn't do it. They smell. Nope. They're awful. Nope. I've been in other people's houses that have them. I'm good on that, man. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with them. My ASFs, I can clean them every two weeks. They procreate like nobody's business. And... You know, right now I'm kind of in a downturn. I need to get some new blood. I think I've got a little genetic depression going on. But uh, aside from that, usually under normal circumstances, they are procreating like crazy. And if you have a problem feeder, they're great. But uh, and really, the only thing that is stuck on those in my collection are the Brisbans. And the Brisbans, uh, Brisbans have been a uh, headache for me from since I started trying to breed them. So yeah, to catch Bill up to speed, uh, the female <laughs> almost bit off uh, the males. Peens. Yeah, and then the female got out this following year, and client. So this is all my fault. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying I uh, told Joe about this. It's crazy, right? So I'm gonna put this out there. Um, so the first year that no, the second year that I attempted to breed them. The first year she slugged out. Second year I attempted to breed them. The the female she didn't bite his peens off. She like she she attacked him. I don't know what happened, but broke his tail to where I could see muscle tissue and bone. And so I had to separate them and wrap everything up. He's totally fine now. His his tail works completely as it should. He's got a little, at the very end of it, a little bend. He's fine. But, uh, and then uh, the next year, which was last year, I tried to uh, pair them again and I messed up. I left a... Uh, they have a sliding glass door on their cage and I left just a tiny little crack. Yep. She pushed out, she flexed and (laughs) I'm going to flex and bust out of this. Uh, she flexed and (laughs) busted out of her cage, climbed up the eight foot tall rack up to the ceiling, got onto the ceiling fan and couldn't get down. So I didn't know that this happened. This has happened at nighttime. And, uh, I go out to my car on uh, Sunday morning and I hadn't, I, my lights are all automatic in my snake room. So in the morning, sometimes I don't run out there and check everything. I'm like, okay, everything's good to go. I'll be out there around noon, whatever. I was going to change the oil in my car and I just hear bam, bam, 
bam. And I'm like, that's coming from my snake room. My snake room is in a, a double car garage that I have com- split in half and built a room Sweet. in the other side. And I'm like, that is coming from my snake room. What the hell is that noise? And I run in there. She had gotten onto the ceiling fan and she, her head was hitting the TV in the room <laughs> in the other cage. Brutal. There was blood all over the place. Oh, like, and so I cut, I'm like, Oh shit. And like, I cut the fan off. I am distraught. This is a project that I've been working on for sure. Like yeah. six years. I'm like, I'm like crying. Like, I'm, I don't know that I've ever, uh, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm being kind of a baby about this, but it's an animal I care about. Right. So like my wife's in the room and I'm like, I'm about to faint, man. I see my, this big female that I love and she's bleeding and she's like, I cut the fan off and she does this like, and blows a bunch of blood out of her face. And I'm like, uh like my room looks like a murder scene there's blood everywhere because she's been spinning around on this ceiling fan and uh, it's awful this is my legitimately the worst thing that's ever happened to me as a keeper Uh, i even feel bad admitting to it but it it is what it is i mean we all have these crazy things she got out got stuck on the ceiling fan and she had been however many hours hitting her head on this tv and cage stack my room is covered in blood. I get her down and she's still breathing all. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. I guess I'm going to soak her and get all this blood off. I don't, I mean, what do you do in that situation? Right. I, I guess try to call a vet and, and, but even then, like, what are you going to do? Her head is swollen to about three times the size as it should be. And this sure. is a coastal female. And I, um, I put her in the water and, and I soak her for about six hours and I put her back in her cage and I say, okay. I said, I legitimately super fucked up. I need to reevaluate. It, it put me in a place of, I don't know that I can keep doing this because I just put an animal that I care about very, very much in a bad position because of my negligence. Although it was a, piece of sliding glass that i didn't close a quarter of an inch still my fucking fault right so i uh i put her in the i put her back in the cage after she soaked for about i think it was like five hours i let her just really kind of sit out there it was outside you know and i put her back in her cage and i didn't feed her for three months i just let her be i I was like i'm gonna just see how this unfolds she went all the way back down to normal. She started feeding. She had bowel movements. There's no damage, no broken bones to her jaw. She didn't have any trouble feeding at all. And uh, uh, I put some size on her. Like, she went completely back to normal. I mean, I, I showed Joe the pictures. I don't, like, if you just saw the amount of blood that was in the room, you'd have been like, well, she's dead for sure. When I saw her on the fan, I thought that she was dead. You know, I thought I was going to be burying a snake and uh i put her back in the room and i gave her time like just i didn't even touch her i didn't pull her out i changed water bowls spot cleaned let her do her thing she healed up completely and then i paired my mail with her this this uh after a vet visit i did go to the vet make sure that she got x-rays and stuff and uh i paired my mail with her and she slugged out again this year. So my male is a piece of shit and he doesn't get the job done. So 
Um, yeah, they've been a complete nightmare. I love them. I'm not going to get rid of them or anything like that, but it's just like, it's one of the, I, I guess we all have those projects when you're breeding where it's just like, they're doomed. It's a doomed project. Yeah. I guess they're just going to stay with me until they die or procreate. Or Dude, they, I mean, they're just going to be there. So what are you going to do? I don't your know. male got hurt the first year and then your female second the second year. year. Like, second. The, 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 the male got hurt the second year. First yeah. year, there was no incidents they, and she slugged out. The second year is when the male got hurt and I had to pull him. And then my dumb ass left the, the cage open. It was uh my my worst moment as a keeper and it's and it has uh made me reevaluate keeping i have since uh installed wedge locks on all of my sliding glass doors and put a camera system uh two camera security system in my room that i can check uh remotely via my phone and those are two of the best things that i've done in my collection because of that and you live and you learn you know but I wish that I didn't have to. It sucked. It was an awful experience. And I don't wish anybody to deal with that. You know, you think you got everything figured out and you've got this room that's all set up and the temperature's right and everything's fine. And you do some dumb shit like leave a sliding glass cage open a quarter of an inch that they can flex out of. And it makes you feel like the worst keeper of all time. And honestly, it, I was contemplating getting out of keeping because of it because i felt super irresponsible and like a piece of shit so you know and i know that you're you're like a little bit tentative to tell that story at first and all that but shit like that happens but not only you know is stuff like that gonna happen now thousands of people are going to hear that and know not to do that and also to take precautions and to be you know safe about it but also to be like oh i know austin has gone through this kind of stuff uh you know Keepers have their setbacks, and uh, it was a huge setback. It made me, uh, um, it made me sad, man. It was not, it was, it was not a cool thing to go through. And I'm sure everybody has their like version of that after that. I mean, I've been keeping for twelve, so legitimately like on a large scale for eight years. Um, so I'm sure people that have kept more than me have stories that would dwarf that and you know whatever but you just got i don't know i feel like that stuff needs to be put out there because we all fuck up and i definitely did that night you know so well on that bummer note um... <laughs> don't leave it on a bummer <laughs> note come on man <laughs> i'm trying to think what's, what's a good question to end it on i don't know um, what oh, do you guys? I I, I wasn't going to talk to you guys. So when earlier when you were talking about uh, the snake that had bit itself, mm-hmm. uh, so that is a really common response to pain in general, mm-hmm. um, but specifically dealing with the heart. Okay. That's actually happened. To, that's happened to us twice. Oh, um, you've had that? Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm all so ears. the 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 coast when I was talking about the two coastals and the first mm-hmm. one didn't make it. Um, that one, I found that snake in the exact same position had clamped right across itself. Um, and then we actually, when you talk about having not necessarily mistakes, but things that make you want to get out, my wife just walked in. So she's gonna be mad that I was telling the story, but, um, we had a close to 18 foot retic who passed away. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) who passed away and it was the same thing. Um, mid body like that uh, and that that was her i don't want to do this anymore moment as well 
But um, we actually necropsied that animal and it had water, not necessarily water, it was a fatty liquid um, around the lining of its heart, um, which we, we talked to the vet. It's, it's not something that you could know as a keeper. It was just a, you know, something that happened, mm -hmm. likely a genetic deficiency. Um, but yeah, though it, both times there were heart issues and the snake just full, right full in the chest on itself. And, um, exactly what it was right middle, like where the heart would be. She yep. was clamped down on. Yep. It's a response to an unexpected pain right there. Uh, okay. and usually is, you usually end up finding a dead snake in that case. And it's, it's something along the lines of heart failure. Okay. So the, the president of the rescue that Joe was referring to that I'm involved with, um, she's a vet tech and she's the ARAV, uh, associate reptile and amphibian veterinarians. She's their representative for vet techs. And, um, I did the same thing. I was like, yo, my snake is in the shape of the number nine. Yep. What the hell is going on? And she's like, oh yeah, I had a heart attack or whatever the snake version of a heart attack is. And I was like, what the hell are you talking? It's, that's like a, it's a standard thing. How you, old, it, can I ask you how old that animal was? I'm just curious. I'm just. So the coastal, I don't know. Um, but it was every bit of eight feet. I mean, it was a big old monster. Um, so it was older. And then the retic was 10, 10 or 11 years old. Okay. Um, and again, that was a rescue, so there was definitely so, some power feeding early in its life, so it was a little on the fat side. The Woma, um, the the Woma that did that was a rescue as well. I got her because she was a problem feeder, and I just, I mean, for the last five years, I've been nursing. I had been nursing her. She was, I mean, for a female Woma in five years, she shouldn't be three foot long. Like, they should be substantially longer than that, and that was a result of so I, I I'm a, I'm thinking of something that was going on that she probably shouldn't even have made it to that point. So right. that makes sense. That makes sense. And I do think they're in herpticulture in general there. I, I know for sure there is, but there's a lot of weak genetic pools yeah. floating around. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, when you, when you have a, a pet store or type of you you have no idea the source of the animal type of situation yeah it especially well especially in that type of situation if it's a rescue or just a dumped off animal it probably didn't come from a robust genetic pool that, yeah. that wasn't you know it wasn't like nick mutt with his crazy ancestry like you yeah. know what i mean oh i know most of my stock as far as morelia comes from him so i it it, it was a it was upsetting because I really love that animal. It was one of those, I, and I'm sure you, you worked so hard you, with her. I, I really did. Like, like uh, I would talk to people who kept Wilma's and they're like, well, I don't understand why you're having all these issues with right. getting her to eat because I've never had this issue. I'm like, I don't know. She's gorgeous. She just doesn't like, I have to feed her quail and I have to like rub a lizard on it. And like, I had to do all this crazy stuff to get her to eat and i go out there i mean my, it was my wife's favorite snake that we owned you know and so you get this attachment to an animal and so i totally understand where your wife's coming from with you not wanting to talk about it is is uh I, her name was octavia and uh, uh i mean i text joe whenever it happened the day that it happened because i'd never experienced anything like that i'd never seen a like i opened the drawer and she is in the nine position just like you said 
cl- I mean, clamped, like yep. busted into whatever like tissue clamped onto herself. And you think, what did I do? You know, like I haven't done anything different than what I've normally been doing, but uh, I, thanks for the, thanks for the, a little bit of yep. clarification. I appreciate it. Oh, dude, so, so with the, I knew that the coastal was not a positive situation just because of the giant coastal, you yeah. know, stereotype. Um, but with the retic, like we full on freaked out because that was our giant snake that we used for shows and so on and so forth. And then it just happened. And I was like, no, no way. You know, I did all this. I, I knew the care. I was down pat, you know, feeding and like, my vet is a friend of mine we went to school together so like i called up and i was like you need to you need to do this because i know i didn't screw up you know i was dead set um and it did you know they he him and another vet did the necropsy and it was he he was just like look dude there's no way you could have ever known that it you you know you're not doing ct scans on your snake like you just can't know you know yeah and that's the thing it's like with like so i'm a dog owner and i love my dogs and and mammals show you they show you whenever they're hurting and it sucks being also a reptile owner who i i like i told you when i saw that uh, brisbane coastal on the ceiling i almost passed out like i was i was it took me a lot to keep my composure in that situation and it sucks because you can't like you can't they don't show you they don't show yeah. you that they're hurting they don't show you that and and you can be a student of the serpent as much as you want to and and i'm in my room every single day looking at my animals and even with that you miss stuff you miss stuff and there's no way in knowing what's going on a hundred percent and it kind of sucks it, it, it sucks because you feel like you could have prevented it and you can't you know yeah as someone who has so many snakes myself and know so many people who have so many snakes and to have not heard that uh about that happening like that phenomenon i mean that's crazy so i'm glad i know that i'm sure people have had that experience and had some you know questions well, about it and whenever i text you about that i was expecting you to be like yeah man this is like because you're you're i mean you have a podcast and i'm not expecting you like i wanted you to say something but just like maybe joe will know like hey what like i've heard of this before you know and like i've got a pretty substantial collection i've never heard of a snake biting itself and you go in there and it's still latched on and i've never heard of that before you know and any of the podcasts that I've listened to, I've never even heard it mentioned, you know? So it's, I don't know. I think it's good that it's, that it's out there now as far as information, but it was surprising to me that you had ne- like, not that you should have, but they, I was just like, well, I guess that I'm okay because I'm not the only person that have, has never seen this before. I mean, I would show, I, I wish I could show you the pictures bill of, of what, uh, what she looked like but it was i mean it wasn't gruesome it wasn't like crazy crazy but it was it was it was i'd never seen anything like it was very very foreign to me you know so well and that like so with all the rescue nerds that i hang out and talk to um that's actually like a thing so like the our vet um 
he basically uses our collection as there you go there it is yep that's it right there that's what exactly like. the same yep so our vet kind of uses our collection as practice i guess mm -hmm. for lack of a better term um because cats and dogs pay the bills and then he wants to mess with reptiles and zoo vets don't make a lot of money so um but like that is whenever i hang out with that dude or he comes to the shop or or whatever it is that we're doing together like that is kind of how that interaction goes you know i teach him all sorts of natural history crap that he'll never remember because it doesn't have anything to do with his job um and then he drops these like little weird things on me every time and then erica when the rescue president when she told me that um she's the same way you know she she is a, a reptile keeper but probably you know not as involved as as myself um but she's like crazy knowledgeable on the medical side and so i'm i'm always like oh this I, I saw this weird thing and then she just has an answer like oh yeah it's it's some virus or oh it's this or oh it's a heart thing like how do you know that and then she comes back with like, how do you know where anacondas live and where they breathe or, or whatever? Like, because we're nerds and we're nerds yeah. about different stuff, yeah. you know? Um, so like when our vet and his partner did the necropsy on the retic, um, that was the first time they'd ever done one on an adult Python. And like, they took pictures and recorded it and went to U of I and, and presented it and did all this stuff. Um, Cause it's weird. Like, he knew everything about the anatomy, but he'd never seen it in a thing on my floor, yeah. you know? Um, and so it, it kind of goes both ways. Like that dude knows so many weird snake things about medicine that I have no clue because until something bad happens, I really don't need to know that. Or exactly. I call him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he doesn't keep snakes. He's a turtle dork. He keeps some turtles and then he takes care of snakes. So <laughs> He knows a lot about his turtles and he and I can talk turtles and be nerds about it. But when I talk snakes or lizards, he, he just listens because he doesn't really have a lot of input. Yeah. When he talks medicine, I shut up or take notes because I don't have any input, you know? Yeah. I like that. You said turtle dork. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like all the turtle guys are kind of dorks and snake <laughs> guys are nerds. There's a difference. Well, the thing for Illinois is a lot of our endangered stuff is turtles. So it's, turtles it's are big, cool. Uh, turtles are really cool. My, yeah, how do you end up with a gopher tortoise, by the way? Oh, that's really cool. You have a gopher tortoise? I didn't yeah. know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that was abandoned in the parking lot of a zoo, and it had been spray painted so that people wouldn't know what it was. Um, the zoo. Be very illegal, right? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that's a pretty uh, protected yeah. animal. Like, um, we have the permits. Yeah, yes, my <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Um, not, yeah. No, I, it's um, I it's actually that's they're, awesome. sorry, they're really heavily trafficked because people don't know that. Um, they think they're box turtles, and so a lot of people from the Midwest and the East Coast will vacation in Florida and then bring them home. Um, really. Yeah, that's a it's thing. A huge, it's it's a big problem. That's crazy, then, as hell, um, dude. <laughs> but they'll a lot of well, what happens is a lot of times they get home, and then they'll do you know even a moderate level of research and realize they just committed a federal offense with a twenty five thousand dollar fine attached to it and five years in prison. So they freak out, and the assumption is that's what happened with this one, and they painted it like blue and all these goofy colors and dropped it in the zoo parking lot. 
and it happened to be the zoo that we do some charity work for and um they already had one and they're both males and they were fighting and so he called me and asked if my wife would do her endangered species permit uh, in illinois you have to have an endangered species permit even if it's federally protected they, they don't care it's still classified the same for the state and so um she filled it out and got the paperwork and then we did that and now we've added a bunch of state stuff to it but that's our only federally protected one that's cool though man i didn't even know that you could uh, like that i didn't even know that that was an avenue that you could take as far as keeping a go i just thought that it was a no-go hands-off species I didn't, so I there didn't are you keep them at all very few people but some people do breed them and then even in illinois there's a guy with a desert tortoise um, which actually came to us temporarily because people thought he had done the wrong thing. Um, but he, when did that dude get his permit? Ugh, in the, the 60s. 60s or something? <laughs> no, he got, he got it in the 80s. yeah. So he got um, grandfathered in when the permits became required mm -hmm. sometime around the year I was born. But anyway, he's had the thing since the 60s. Um, and it came to us through rescue and so on and so forth, went through the legal channels and whatnot. Um, and it was totally legit. Dude's had it for like 50 years and was like, no, nah, it's good, man. I collected it in California back in the 50s or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, back it, when it, it didn't matter, man. Back yeah. when, back whenever it, everybody was uh, loving some old, free, brother. Yeah, some old dude was like, no, nah, man, I've had it forever. It's cool. And uh, we went through the state and did all the things, and the state came back, and they're like, no, nah, man, he's had it for longer than you've been alive. Give it back to him. <laughs> all right, cool. That's awesome that he was able to keep it. You know, I mean, it's protected and stuff, but that's cool, man. That's yeah. and the only thing that sucks with the gopher tortoises is there, there are a lot of facilities that keep them, but, like, they're not cool, quote-unquote, and they're not as big as a sulcata, so like yeah. it, it's it's not even really a an SSP kind of thing where like zoos would breed them for reintroduction. Yeah. Like it, I there are thing there are programs in Florida and in the southeast that do it, you know. But it's not something where like the zoo in Chicago is going to participate. Like, yeah, it's not it's not cool enough, you know. It should be it's, cool enough though, man. It's a it's a yeah, native it's a native North American tortoise. That's pretty dope dude like i, I, I feel so like that's lessons. so badass oh i teach so many lessons off that thing with the keystone species and the longleaf pine forest and the burrows and, and the indigos and tons yeah. of stuff yeah. yeah tons of stuff and it's just a little brown tortoise like there's cool less blue though, spray paint on its blood cool. like yeah i had uh Amanda, who's a biologist who works with gopher tortoises, and she was talking about she's interested in the bugs that actually are able to survive due to them going to going to the bathroom in the burrows. I mean, there's a whole yep. there's a whole system going I'm on unfamiliar. there. You need to teach me. I am unfamiliar with this completely. Come it was on too long ago, yeah. and I I talked to too many people to remember every podcast. I have to go back and listen. The bathroom. So check it out. So a gopher tortoise burrow on average is like 32 feet deep. Okay. And the number, so the reason they're called a keystone species, right, is the longleaf pine forest. And so the number of species documented to share the burrow with these things is like 350 plus. Okay. 
because they the burrow. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. So much. But That's the burrow insane. is so deep and goes so far that it ends up being kind of like biomes. Like it stratifies the burrow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like if, if they leave them or they die or the tort, you know, or they dig more it than one or whatever. A, then it's ecosystem. Then it's indigos and yeah. burrowing owls and like it is just on and on. And it, it's like never ending. Um, and they do, they dig. It's ridiculous. Like I, I took that 300 gallon trough and I put almost a full ton of soil in it. Mm-hmm. And then I buried totes that I held up with four by fours. Like it looks like a mine shaft basically. Um, and I just built a tiny mine shaft and then li- I dumped a thousand pounds of dirt on it. And that's, that's what he lives in. He's all about like, just pushes crap around, throws to like full-time dudes, a full-time tunneler. <laughs> full-time dwarf. Yeah. That's what I do. That's that badass, man. Incredible, dude. <laughs> that's a, that's I, a thing. I, I, I that's the one thing I'm jealous of, of like guys like you who have the connection with the rescue stuff. I don't want to do anything else that you do. But the the <laughs> fact that you, the fact that you're able to work with an animal like that and get that unique experience, like I don't want to mess with some rescue Argus monitor. I don't want that at all. Yeah, I'm, that gonna, I'm not gonna scary. lie. I don't think I'd want to do that either. I have people <laughs> that contact me and they're like, "Hey, I got this ball python," and I'm like, "I'm good, bro. I'm, I'm yeah. good. Like I can help you find a place for it, but I don't want your ball python. I don't. Well, I don't but want that's you. the thing is, people get it twisted." That so with the rescue, the purpose of the rescue is it comes in, we give it a health check, or or if it needs some sort of health care, which uh-huh. most often it does. Yeah. Um, and then the goal is out the door. It okay. does, this is this isn't a reptile collection. It doesn't stay. Yeah. We we do have fosters for things, you know, if it needs to gain weight or, or longer term stuff. Health, um, health issues, right? Stuff that you sure. need to make sure that it's good to go, right? Yeah, but most yeah. of the fosters, honestly, we have a lot of foster fails where people end up adopting them anyway. Um, but the cool thing about the foster deal was like you could test it out. So like if you foster a bearded dragon and you don't like bugs, then give it back and we'll adopt it out. And maybe you could try fostering a crested gecko. Yeah, or yeah, you could yeah. try fostering a corn snake, or you or Sometimes so on. a better so on. fit. Yeah, but it, it yeah. allows people to kind of test run stuff. Um, so you have to vet, like you have to vet your the people that you're fo- like. Yep. You do a like uh, you sit down and talk to them about what they're willing to do and what they're willing not to do. Yep. Before you okay, right. and like we um we make wish lists. Um, we we have people. It's, it's always there's a running joke in our uh, rescue that if a red tegu comes in, we don't post it online because like people get into fights in the comments or like any of the cool stuff like people get, oh, I want to adopt it, you know, and it's like, let's well, it's tegus expensive. are pretty cool, man. You know, um, and then when it, when the 12 normal ball pythons come in, nobody fights in the comments. It's really weird. Hey, don't hate um, on. I, that's the main. <laughs> ball py- I've got two and they're normals. The rarest um, of them all you got yeah, it. right nowadays exactly. uh dude we get we get some off the wall morphs of ball pythons that come in the rest like big money really and yeah For real? yo wow. yeah um and that is a thing too that like so the rest our rescue is a 501c3 it's all papered everything's yeah, legit yeah, yeah. you know 
Um, and it throws people for a loop, man, because we don't alter the fees. The adoption the fee, the fee is, the fee. Yep. is what it is. And yep. then, you know, you show up with a pied, albinos, bananas. What else? We've had a couple of three and four gene animals. Um, and it's like, nah, man, 20 bucks or, or whatever the fee was at the time. Hey, good for um, you doing it. You're doing it the right way, man. I mean, it, but the cool the thing is be. that more quote unquote normal or like average keepers adopt those things. Um, also, it also, I mean, we vet that, you know, we're not going to adopt to a flipper or whatever. Um, but more of those things have gone to kids or like single pet households. I think that's super cool. Like we put a $2,000 ball Python on there and we're like, yeah, man, uh, we got a bunch of ball pythons this month. So the adoption fees are 10 bucks. And then like this family's like, well, little Timmy's getting a cool birthday present. Is it important that it's purple? I don't even know. Like they don't even care. That's awesome. You know, That's and awesome. then, a, you know, a piebald or something goes to their house. And they're like, yeah, the white splotches are cool. Is it supposed to have that? Like, whatever. That's that's awesome. I love it. So have you had, um, like, uh, people that are trying to, like, stock their breeding program as far as, oh, like, just stuff like ball pythons, bearded dragons, yeah. stuff like that? So Absolutely. how do you bet that? What do you do? Do you just, like, check their online presence or what? Honestly, um, pretty much everybody in the in the rescue. Actually, we have a, a fair mix, but um, we have a couple of people that are not reptile nerds, okay. um, really at all. They are more like animal welfare, to, like they just want to help. You know, they want to clean stuff and and be helpful. Yeah, it's more of a, a charitable experience for them, I guess. Um, and then, but the majority of the rescue, we're all full-on herp nerds like we know the deal we know we know the scene we've been around for years we understand the good and bad you can kind of tell like okay this this son of oh dude most people out themselves most people will say it yeah if if you've been in there for long enough you all know what the what the lingo is where you're like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but Mm -hmm. no like on it i'm honest to god like most people will just flat out say it like, hey, I'm looking for a male bumblebee. And it's like, oh, what are you trying to make? Like a spinner blast? Or like you just start throwing out names. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I want to get an Enchi and do this and X, Y, and Z. And it's like, yo, dude, it says the third bullet and down. We don't breed them. And they're like, oh. All right, cool. So is that a oh, no then? Like, oh, yeah. damn. Oh, damn. Like, <laughs> it, if, if you've been around long enough, like that's just, you know. If you're a car guy, you don't buy a lemon off a used car lot. Like, you know the deal, you you know, that, and I mean, I'm sure we've been pulled one over on before, um, but it's, it's rare, you know, and those instances are rare. Like the, if a whole breeders collection of ball pythons coming to us, that that's happened like twice in the however many years we've been involved it doesn't happen a lot. It's, yeah. it's a king snake or a tegu or, you know, standard pet things. Yeah. Um, it, it is a rare occurrence, but then we really are, you know, that's when we got to jump on it and vet things and pay attention. Yeah, and, Cause you and know what's everything. going on. You know, the, um, you know, the stick, you know, the run that people yeah. are going to be like, Oh, I can get this for easy money. Yeah. Da, 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 da. I'm going to try like to stimulate the, my breeding projects. The three tegus a month that come in, 
nobody's calling us for breeding them. They come to my house and hang out for a year before we can find a good family. You know, Take is that because you need to vet them so so intensely, or is it because people are just not interested in the bigger animal? A little bit of both. Um, we actually have been really fortunate, and I I've talked about this at the rescue a couple of times that I think it is it's a good sign in the hobby. Um, we don't get very many calls for Nile monitors and green iguanas and like quote unquote dangerous stuff. Like people get it, it gets big and aggressive and they want to ditch it. Right. That was always the shit. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't happen to us, to be honest. Um, do you think that it's it's because of the, uh, availability? Oh, excuse me. The availability of information, like people know, yes. hey, a Nile monitor is not a great yes. starter monitor, stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. I I so. think people people stick to the bread and butter. You know, yep. we get a lot of leopard geckos, we get a lot of bearded dragons, a lot of ball pythons. Um, now the standard story, I guess it, they're not lying, but just their story um, is people get it for their kids, they get bored, and then it comes to us. Um, we have, we'll go through runs where it's like poor husbandry or we'll get like a bunch of goofy bearded dragons that nobody bought lights for or like weird stuff. Um, but the vast majority of it nowadays really does kind of stay with the throwaway pet mentality, which sucks, but it isn't huge, dangerous, hard to rehouse. It's not alligators, right? It's bearded dragons. I can find somebody who wants to keep a bearded dragon and is capable and I'm not putting a burden on them. Like I'm not pulling one over on them. Like, no, if you keep this gator and it's 20 long, it's cool. You know, like, you know, I educate somebody on a crested gecko or a ball python. It's a super simple thing. Do you, you know, get a lot? Do you get a lot of like rehomed or rehab cresties? Like, is that a common thing? Not, like in maybe the last year or two um but it yeah i mean it's still a pretty common pet yeah really i feel like unfortunately at least with with the geckos it seems as though with snakes you can neglect that animal and it will survive way past the reasonable time frame with the crested gecko i feel as though it will die so i feel like that's probably more likely yeah we don't ever get foster amphibians Right. They're dead. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, any, yeah. Or, or chameleons or, you know, anything with any kind yeah. of delicacy. If it comes to us, it's on death's door or it never makes it to us. You, you know, the, the things that make it into the rescue network. And it, that was actually, you know, part of the downside for years was that's why Niles and red-eared sliders and green iguanas made it into the rescue networks. You could light those things on fire and they would still walk around and eat like they're bulletproof. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then some idiot would and then it would show up at the rescue and it was like, I thought iguanas ate hot dogs or what. Like it turns out he will for five years or whatever. <laughs> um, gators are the same way. Like there are so many gators come through the upper Midwest for stupid stories like that, that eat hamburger and goldfish and stupid crap for 10 years. And then some dude shows up with a two foot gator that it's like a cliche because it, it exists, you know? Yeah. But it's because the animal can, like they they can. You could beat on they're them tough, for a decade. Nails, man. They're yeah. Nails. 
which is awesome for the animal, not for us to take advantage of, you know, like it's built like that because sometimes you got to chew on raccoons in Florida and not eat fish. (laughs) You know, it's not. Uh, Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I, (laughs) I, I actually, I volunteered at a rescue for a bit while I lived in Colorado and, and for a bit, I mean like literally went there twice because man, they got in this bearded dragon that had such bad MBD and like could barely move around and just, I don't know, man, it was sad. It was just a real bummer. And it's like, I really, I really, uh, applaud you for being able to have like the, the fortitude to go through all that shit and to see animals in trouble. And I don't know, for some reason, I just can't stomach that. It's like, I have enough trouble if something happens to one of my animals. Exactly. For sure. I honestly, I like applaud you for sure. Like that, like I about, I had one snake mess, like I messed up and let one out and it was, I can't imagine rehabbing animals that someone just didn't care about at all doing what you're doing so like kudos so that to is, for, for that real is why that is why the rescue scene gets kind of a wrap of being fly by night right yeah. and that rescues pop up and fade away and and people always go to like the flipper like oh they were just trying to flip or whatever um i'm i'm sure that that is a thing that probably does happen i know it does happen um, but the reality is, man, that it's burnout. A, a lot of what makes it seem like rescues fade away um, is that emotional burnout. Um, I my can wife see is, that. My sure. wife is, I think, furiously scrubbing a sink trying to ignore me about <laughs> that exact subject. Um, because that in, in our relationship, she is that person, right? I, it sounds really terrible, but I'm kind of callous about that part of it um and so it it doesn't it it bothers me but not to the extent maybe it probably should um it doesn't bother you to the extent of like quitting right Right. whereas it it severely bothers her um and it it is something like that's something that you know we discuss like you take this in and it comes to the shop and it's like hey uh this thing is not good you know um and it it doesn't matter like you're still like nope i'm gonna fix it because i'm a badass <laughs> reptile keeper and i'm, I'm a fixer i'm a take care of business you know and then the bumper falls off like or whatever like yeah. that and it, it it's a thing man like um in in our rescue um part of the reason like our rescue is well known or like i don't know a big deal um is the longevity and it's it's been around for a really long time relative to the rescue scene um because most people are like look dude people don't give a crap about ball pythons people don't give a crap about bearded dragons i'm done you know they and they do like i'm not going to look at another mite i'm not going to look at another mbd i'm out and to just i mean when you put your head down and just dig through it then then now you're friends of scales reptile rescue like oh they're the biggest rescue in the midwest or or whatever like cool accolade or something and it's like 
yeah, man, we, we ground through 5,000 reptiles in seven years or whatever insane number, you know, um, that's the total crap part of it that people don't want to do. Um, yeah, Erica's going to yell at me. I know. Um, but that, that is, that's it. The longevity is the people in the rescue side of it, just grinding and just a little cold hearted on it. That works for me. Um, it doesn't for actually quite a, what surprised days we just have to cry. Okay. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't say it's cold hearted. I'm set. So I equivalent that kind of stuff to like, I'm a hunter. I hunt white-tailed deer. I fish. I don't like taking animals' lives. Just this weekend, I had to cull some of my chickens because they're seven years old. They're not laying anymore, and it's time to bring some new hens into the chicken coop and and have some more eggs because that's why we have chickens, right? I don't enjoy that part of it. It's not, but you have to put it in its place, right? So you're you're looking at it as I am bettering a percentage of animals that come through my door. It's life. I can't save them all, but I can better this many of them. And this is better than bettering no, none of their lives. Right. So that's, I, I don't think that that's being callous. I think that that's looking at it in a way that you can actually help something and help and help these animals. I, I wouldn't, I just, I'm not trying to tell you how to talk or anything like that, but like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that that's a callous thing. I think that that's a, a way of doing it and you're helping animals and, and it's just a fact of life that there's going to be death involved and right. you can't help a lot of the stuff that's going on with the rescues that you're taking in. So, well, what I always thought was, and I still do, like I actually talked to my wife about it quite a bit is that, um, a ton of the people in our rescue and then in, in rescues in general that I've interacted with because of it are, are not me. Like I figured they would all be like me, you know, where it's, it's just math, right? The statistics are not on my side. And then sometimes I win with an outlier. Everybody scratches off a lottery ticket sometimes like, but most of the time you're just burning money for fun. Like it's math. Right. And I, I, I approach it that way. Um, they, they don't like, they're much more like her and they get really upset and they get very invested. And they, you know, I think that that's way harder, you know, um, to still grind on it and know like, Hey dude, you're going to get your heart broke. If you fall for all these ball pythons, you know that, right. Yeah, and then the the couple of people I hang out with at the rescue are like, "Don't care, let's go," you know, <laughs> grab a bottle of Nix and let's start spraying F ten on stuff. Like they they don't care, they just keep keep going, man. Yeah, yeah, I think that really all of that makes also someone like me reevaluate what I breed also, um, into and then also how I vet my customers. I think I think Austin is in a good place to where your Brettles pythons are probably going to go to someone who's going to be responsible and is going to keep them. And if they don't, they pass them on to someone else who's responsible. But like to to breed and sell a lot of low dollar pet pet grade animals, you're kind of feeding into that, you know, 
as a breeder. So it's kind of sometimes See, it's tough that, for me. Man, to... I, I don't want that stuff to discourage people who breed, and I'm not trying to make fun of corn snakes, but people who breed the more basic pets, right? Because it is vital. Like if, if, if every generation we don't get some seven to 12 year old kids to get a bearded dragon, corn snake, leopard gecko, ball python, they'll never get a Bolin's python or a lace monitor or a, a whatever. Like they won't ever grow up to be us. Like it. I think like, probably, probably you know, 80% of my animals go to first time pet owners. I mean, especially in at shows. It may even be someone who just held a snake for the first time, which is nice. Or, you know, see, I think that's super cool. We always bring out an adult for the kids to handle or, you know, so even though we'll keep that animal separate, whatever, and we'll have that be like the handling animal. So, yeah, I love that aspect of it. And I love that I have corn snakes and able to do that. And I'm able to do that with the species that I work with. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't want to spin it like there's not a lot of positives. And that's why I still do it. You know, I still do it. I still produce a bunch yeah. of animals. So, so yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. That. There's not a lot of, like, I don't get a lot of first-time people, like, hitting me up saying, hey, I would like a Brettles python. It's I definitely deal in species that, like, you've dev- you've had some experience a little bit to where when you're – contacting me then it i know that like you you've dealt with some kind of reptile you know so you kind of have to do your research just to know that a brittles python exists so (laughs) like i know the first time i saw one i was like what is that i've never even what what is that i had no idea the first time i saw an adult female brittles python was at NERBC in Arlington and it was like 2013 and I'd never seen one. He had this giant like seven foot female just on his shoulders like, yeah, this is a Brittles python. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, I've never, I didn't even know that existed. I I had no idea. At that time I was still like, no, it was 12, 2012 because I bought my first female in 12 so it had been 12. Uh, But I I was still like doing ball python morphs and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's that's like the nicest part of when you're getting you're initiated in the hobby, but you go to a reptile show and you can still see something new, like the one vendor that has blackhead pythons or something. Oh, like that. yeah, yeah black, like you still when you see dance. a blackhead python for the first time in real life, you're like that's a real thing what the hell that is a, it looks like a a, a a magical creature it doesn't even look like a real thing you just dip that head in ink yeah doesn't make any sense at all <laughs> not at all but yeah i feel like uh you know i was obviously trying to end this podcast at two hours but this last <laughs> hour has been probably probably Sorry. far <laughs> surpassed the first two even and i thought the first two was a great podcast but this last hour was fucking amazing, to be honest. Yeah. So sorry, sorry, we kind of got <laughs> no, no. on tangent, but I'm I'm sure. Don't apologize to me for sure. Don't apologize to anyone listening because they're definitely still listening because the last hour was better than the first two, even. So like, yeah. So Austin, where can people uh, get in touch with you? 
Hit me up on uh, Range Beard Reptiles on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, I'll re- respond to both, but uh, if you're an Instagram user, please use Instagram because Facebook is a dumpster fire, as I said before. So, yeah, I've got a bunch of uh, Brettles Pythons available. I need to take pictures and stuff, but hit me up. I'll take pictures for you. If you're if you're interested, so or if you have questions on anything, Epidora, whatever, I'll uh, I'm an open book. So yeah, if you've made it three hours into the podcast, uh, you're vetted out for the for yeah, the Metal Python. Sure. You're the person who's done the research. And uh, Bill, I know you have a podcast now, man, and I and I love it with with Ryan and then uh, and Erica and your wife. Yeah. I mean. It's amazing. Um, a lot of the, the husbandry knowledge and stuff like that. So, yeah, plug the podcast and then cold black. So, uh, the podcast is Reptile Room Confessions. And uh, the idea was so we, we're all friends. We're, we're two married couples. Um, and we're all neck deep into herpticulture. My wife is probably the newbie out of the group. And the idea was that, like, we have all these conversations where Ryan is an industry guy. I am an educational guy and I've kept pretty much anything you can think of. That's not venomous. Um, Erica is a vet tech med person. And my wife is basically in, in her opinion, a newbie, even though she's kept for 10 years. Um, and so our conversations are always a really varied perspective. Like I will, I will ask Ryan, like, why does nobody use this kind of light bulb? And then he'll tell me about the industry. Oh, well, you know, price and so on and so forth. Or Erica will ask me some natural history question for medicine. And it's, it's just a lot of varied perspectives. And so our podcast is pretty much those conversations. And then we just pick topics and try to pluck at it from the different angles. Um, because we, we've been in it for a long time. Like I've been doing it for over 20 years. Ryan has. Um, and so we thought, I don't know. It's that sounds kind of conceited, but like we thought we had a good perspective to offer to people. I don't want to sound uppity when I say that, but it's not um, uppity. You have perspective. You have freaking knowledge and all that. Yeah, come on now. Come on now. Well, we've just done a lot of stuff, and I, I, that's a big thing. Like for a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, and a lot of people that have been around for a long time, is I've screwed up so much stuff. And I remember being in grade school, middle school, buying hot rocks and like all the things that are jokes now. Like if, if you're new to herpticulture, you might not know why it's a joke. Like because idiots like me burnt stuff on or, or whatever, you know, like. So it was just that perspective of doing it for a long time. Um, and then we decided to record it and try to make people listen. So it's working, I guess, so far. Um, and then uh, like Friends of Scales and Cold Black. Where can we yeah. check that stuff out? So Friends of Scales Reptile Rescue, you can find on Facebook and Instagram. Um, it is still mostly Facebook for the rescue. And then you go through the website and we are in the process of updating our website. And we're going to go with the folks, a similar website to the setup for the rescue that's in Georgia. And so it's going to be much more electronically tracked and, and more of a database set up for people. And so that's like what I was talking about the wish list. Um, if, if you know that you want to adopt a corn snake or something like that, like we can categorize you better instead of getting a corn snake and posting it on Facebook and then sifting through 32 comments or, or what have you. 
we're just trying to better organize ourselves. Um, and so that update is coming. So kind of hang out for that, but we do it. The website is functional. You can go through the process and fill out adoption applications or relinquishment forms. Um, because of all the stuff with COVID, we do have some pretty specific rules for how we meet people and, and drop things off. So definitely check out the website to know, you know, when to wear a mask and, and porch drop-offs and stuff like that. Um, and then Coal Black Exotics is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, pretty much anywhere. Uh, I have a TikTok, which is really weird, and I don't know anything about it, but I tried it. Um, all of the stuff on there is kid-friendly. I, I mostly post pictures of the collection and do natural history lessons and the captions. Um, there are, for people who don't like it, because I randomly get comments all the time, I do also post a bunch of spiders. So if that's not your jam, that's going to show up. So just be aware. And um, if you go to the Facebook page or really anywhere that has a website link, it takes you to our booking site where you can book. Um, again, with the COVID stuff, Illinois has a lot of really specific rules. So we wear masks and do all the things and, uh, that we have to do. And that's actually changed a little bit of how we show animals. So it has to be animals that have are able to be wiped down. So I use rescue wipes and rescue spray, which is essentially diluted hydrogen peroxide. Um, All so reptiles are wearing masks, of course. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's tegus, you know, the tegus, the tortoises, the colubrids, you know, nothing with porous skin. We don't take any amphibians now because I, I can't, you know, clean necessarily, quote unquote, clean them. Um, so it's a lot of stuff that we can wipe down, which didn't alter our show that much, but you know, I don't take any arachnids cause I don't want to expose them to any cleaning chemicals and we don't take any yeah. amphibians. So there have been some changes. Um, but Illinois is allowing non-essential stuff now. And I've been told since March that I'm not essential. So now I'm in the boat. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're kind of back to business. Awesome. As for me, Port City Pet, Port City Pythons portcitypet.com all the links are down below all the links for these guys are down below too austin bill this was amazing thanks for thanks for hanging out it was a great time man bill it yeah. was awesome meeting you and yeah i look forward to speaking with you in the future honestly for sure man it was I'm, awesome I'm pumped to have talked to you for what is it three hours and 11 <laughs> i'm pumped man awesome thanks guys i will catch everyone next week